Welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leland McRae. Leland, it's bracket time, brother. And, yeah, it is. And here's the thing. Let's just jump right into it. Let's talk about who's in our final fours and maybe one upset or two upsets that you have that people need to be on the lookout for. Well, I... I'm struggling this year because usually like in the conference championship week, I'm already kind of got, Hey, this is the team I'm probably going with here. Like for my national champion. Now I never pick the national champion. Right. So it might be a good thing for me. I, you're going to make fun of my bracket. I'm kind of, a, I'm comfortable with that. Um, Cause you're I'm comfortable with it's it. It's just where I've gotten to my final four. And I've really torn apart this. I have Arizona coming out up top because yes. I have them beating Alabama. Okay. I do have Duke in the final four, which I hate because a couple of weeks ago I was just ranting that. Why are we talking about Duke? I think last week I ranted that like, why are we talking about Duke? But their road just looks easier. And I I've watched a lot of Purdue and I think they can beat them. I will say out of my final four, the first thing I would switch was put Purdue in Purdue back in there but I have Duke beating Purdue and then beating Kansas state down there. Um, so I got Duke in there. Other side, Texas, I have coming out oh of God. the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, you don't like any of it, but I think they kind of got a story going here with Chris Beard being gone out of there. They're really riding high. They won that conference. That's the best conference in the nation. They're playing their best basketball. I like the guys that attack with the basketball on that team and they play some defense. I, I, I just, I kind of fell in love with Texas over the weekend. And then uh, UCLA is who I got out of the oh bottom. So I think the Pac-12 is going to beat their chest after this Final Four because they'll have two Final Fours in it. Mm-hmm. I got Texas beating Arizona. You know why I hate what you said? Why? Because I know how bad your brackets are, and I've got the exact same Final Four. <laughs> no way. You're like over there. I thought you were about to just rip into me about how stupid I am. I really did. That's why I when you said like, Arizona, I was like, uh oh. And then you went, you said Duke, and I was like, no. And then you were like, as soon as you said no Texas, I was like, oh gosh, if he says UCLA. No way. And here's, you want to know what's worse? I've got a lot of the same elite eights. Yeah. Who do you have Texas beating? I got Texas beating Houston. I did get Houston okay. in there. I got Houston getting past Miami. And you have you uh, have Alabama against Arizona, but we have Duke K State, and you have I guess UCLA Kansas. Uh no, I got Connecticut. Oh well, I don't have Connecticut getting out of the first round. Yeah, I know you don't. Uh, I yeah, I that's what I got. I'm leaving it. I seriously, this is what I did. Uh, eight six o'clock happened. We watch the bracket program. I don't really listen to As soon as they say the names, then I'm up and I start writing on my giant bracket. They're talking, but I, I don't care what they say. Because, I mean, they, they all make – you could pick every single game opposite if you listen to those guys. I, uh, with, I cooked dinner for the family. We watched the women's bracket get announced. Mm-hmm. I understood what that all meant. And then I picked up my computer and in three minutes did my bracket. I've, I've done this quick. I've done this long. I've had Excel sheets. I've gone without it. I'm going without it this year. I think it's wide open. Those are my picks. I hate that they're similar. I, I, I really thought you'd make fun of me. So that's, that's pretty funny. Um, this is what I'm rolling with. I'm not changing from here. Um, 
I've, I've been looking at some of those first round matchups and you, you were asking for some, I knew you're going to have Kennesaw state. I assume you do. Uh, I do. I actually, I, I assume, I really assume you have Vermont over Marquette for how much crap you've been talking against Marquette. <sighs> I wanted to, but I didn't. Yeah. That being said, I've got him going out the next round. You got him losing to Michigan State. Izzo and Dem boys. Yep. Yeah, I I could see that happening. I actually still have him winning that game because I just watched a Big East tournament where every game I sat down saying, here, we're going to watch Shaka Smart and Marquette lose. And then they just find a way to win. I do have him fall into Kansas State. That's the first game I really think they're going to lose mm-hmm. to. Michigan State's capable, though. I don't, I don't think that's the craziest thing. Um, where do I have craziness? It's exactly where you think I'd have craziness. I have Charleston beating San Diego State because mm-hmm. San Diego State's conference doesn't win in the tournament. I think Charleston can play a good, solid keep away game and beat San Diego State. And I'm doing my yearly tradition that I do every single year. I pick against UVA on the bracket no matter where they are. And here they're playing Furman. I'll take Furman. So uh, I got Charleston beating Furman in the second game. So I got a 12 seed playing Alabama in the Sweet 16. That's that's probably my craziest area of the bracket. Okay. Um <laughs> And those are all fine. It's a wide open. We're going to have Mike Barber on later. And I say this a lot. It's wide open. And I think it's a hard year to yeah. say anything is crazy. I watched Charleston play a lot in that CAA tournament. And I watched them play bad against some pretty bad CAA teams. So I don't think they're going to win. I don't think okay. they're 12 fives there, but that's it's fine. against San Diego state. Cause I don't have any. Sure. I understand that. And what you say about the mountain West is not wrong. I mean, last year they didn't win a game. So, right. Um, Furman is honestly, if UVA gets past Furman, I like UVA's path pretty good. Uh, but they got to get Until past Alabama. Furman. They're not going to beat Alabama if they get there. I, they're not going to play Alabama. <sighs> yeah, you got them losing to Maryland. Fear the turtle. What uh, a rough game that Maryland West Virginia game, and I think it's the first game on Thursday. I think it's the mm-hmm. noon game on Thursday. Like, what a way to kick off this tournament! <laughs> Have Maryland versus West Virginia. At two o'clock, something's gonna burn. Like I, I love that type of a tournament. <laughs> yeah, either West Virginia's done or my bracket is dead. Um, because <laughs> I have them. Yeah, I have them. Joe might 16. be the one burning something. <laughs> yeah, Maryland. Yeah, Maryland's either moving on or they're no longer a state. Um, we'll see. <laughs> it's in your hands. Um, I, you can say it's a little bit of bias. You can say it's not. You can say whatever. Uh, it's not going to change my picks at this point. I've got VCU in the Sweet 16. I've got them beating St. Mary's. And then I, like, I, like I said, I don't think they're playing UConn. I think they're playing Iona. And I think they beat Iona. I think they push I Kansas. I don't think they beat Kansas, but I think they push Kansas. I just, I wanted to get Kansas out of there. I have no faith in them. I haven't had faith in them. I, my boss and my real job is a Kansas guy. Mm. So I've been paying a lot of attention to him this year. I, as as fake as you call Marquette, I think Kansas is fake. So I I did what I had to do to get Kansas out of there, and I have you caught beating them. Yeah. So it sounds like we have a lot of the same. Uh, well, we have the exact same Final Four, which is upsetting. Um, but we have a lot of the same Elite Eights as well, which means that our upsets are e- pretty you know controlled. Uh, which means yeah. that definitely one of us will get burned. Um, because a double-digit seed usually gets to the Elite Eight at some point, and I don't have a single double-digit seed in the Elite Eight. So that's good. Um, I've chased those in past years, and I've, I'm, I'm... I always pick the wrong one, so... Hoping not to go against that. I'd watch... 
the one I'd watch. I mean, I have Charleston. I have Charleston deep. Uh, you do. I don't. I I like Pittsburgh more than most people, and I know they're playing in a play-in game. One you of know, those play-in games always comes and wins. That's true, weekend. and that's so I'd watch that. And I don't have a lot of love for Xavier, and obviously you don't either. So no. I, that that Pitt situation, I I that's one area in my bracket that could possibly change because that Pitt will play Mississippi State. If Pitt wins, I'm going to have them deeper than most people. That's, Mississippi State. That's why I'm, I'm waiting. I, I'm not sure Pitt's going to beat Mississippi State, um, but I hear you. I think Pitt yeah. could beat Iowa State. Uh, they just have to beat Mississippi State first. And yeah. um, I was really disappointed by Pitt's performance against Duke, and I guess I'm holding that against him a little bit. Duke is playing really good right now. Duke and that's is playing really well, four, and that's so what I, I. Yeah, I'm saying. I'm saying I'm really disappointed you didn't beat a team that I think is going to go to the final four. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, so Duke's making me wrong. I mean, I ranted for weeks. Anybody that would talk to me on the street, I just stayed there downtown, just yelling it. Duke's not going to win the national championship. They're not that good. But credit to Shire, like they weren't good at the beginning of the year and you were trashing them and saying, you know, Duke's going downhill and it's, you know, bad news here. They made their own, you know, you were saying all of it. I wasn't arguing with you. I was just, and then yeah, they, it's not looking good. And then they and played better in the they second. They put it together. He's figured it out. I, you know, I know it's one year. He's going to have to do this more, but it's a heck of a good sign. Yeah. I've got the Pac-12 championship being the national championship too. So. I have Texas. You gave yours. I, I know I you fell do. in love with Texas. So I, I, I have Arizona winning it all. But um Yeah. They, that was a fun game the other night. I watched it on mute, but that's a fun game. Yeah. So I think you got a rematch there. I got grievances. This is the week this is the holiday weekend, so I'm gonna air my grievances here. Okay, do it. I got a lot of grievances with you people. <laughs> I cannot take Bill Walton on a broadcast. That's I fair. think it's unprofessional. I don't know why ESPN keeps putting him on there. If you want to provide him as an alternate po- uh, broadcast on the ESPN Plus format, have at it. Because I'm sure there's people that sit there and dig it. I think it distracts from the game. At the biggest moments of the game, he's sitting there talking about, and we all love Coach Leach and him talking about the mascots in the Pac-12 and what mascot would be what mascot or in the Big 12 or whatever, whenever that he said that. We love that in an interview on Tuesday beside the football field with 30 seconds left in a PAC 12 championship game. I don't need to hear that the Arizona wildcat and the Bruin bear have now switched places because now it looks like I don't need all this. Like I need the basketball game, Bill Walton. And I, I get it. Some people might like it. I think Patrick Height has argued with us about, about him before. I think I can't remember. I know Patrick Height comes to my mind. when We talk about Bill Walton. I can't stand him on a broadcast. I don't want to hear him again. So that's my view there. I have another grievance, but I'll let you comment on Bill Walton. Yeah, I don't like Bill Walton. I I have hated Bill Walton's broadcast for a long a long time. Um, it's absolutely in the way. He was at an apple blossom uh, that I went to a sports breakfast for because I think there was an gosh there was somebody else there that I wanted to hear, uh, and I barely got to hear them because Bill Walton, like during a broadcast, talked almost the entire time, including when he said, you know, he was a really shy child and. It took, he didn't speak a word until like the age of 12. And I was like, well, man, to make Making up for it. Yeah. Boy, do I miss age 11 you. Um, <laughs> like, I just, he's just bad. I, he's not good. And, and like you said, they, they want to put him on like a, a Manning, call it the Walton cast or whatever, and put him on yeah. there. 
In which case, here's the beauty of it. You don't even need a partner. Don't even, really, don't even give him a producer in his ear. Just say, hey, Bill, just go. Because he will, he'll go, and you can go in and out of commercial and just come back and he'll be mid-sentence, and you won't really have missed a thing. <laughs> I just, I I guess they think it's the odd couple having those two guys there and people dig. I, I hate it. I I'm open I feel to so ideas. bad for not his everybody has guys. to be straight to the point, and like I can have some characters in there. Like I can, I like the Manning cast. Like I'm, I'm there. I cannot stand the vibe that Bill Walton's bringing. Yeah, I, I think there's a difference between, you know, a character and what Bill Walton is. I, I think Bill Walton is, you know, space case, the ramblings of a madman. Um, right. I, I think. You know, RG3, when he did games, was different, right? He's a character. And sometimes he said some things that ESPN probably wish he hadn't said during a game. But sure. they were funny. Um, there, there are well, other... Ginger Perkins out there saying similar things, so... <laughs> mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's color commentators during football games that you'll laugh and be like, okay, that's funny. He's kind of zany. Um, Dick Vitale is zany. Bill Walton, again, Bill Walton is just pure, pure insanity. And I will say this, at least, and this is, he is a large reason I won't watch Pac-12 regular season basketball because I'm, I'm just, I have to ask myself, one, do I want to stay up and watch this? And that answer is almost always no. But if it's Arizona UCLA, a game I would watch, I then have to ask myself, do I want to put myself through this? And that answer is no. Honestly, like if we want to get information from someone, you just put a game on that he's doing. That'll get it. They'll start singing like a canary. (laughs) You mentioned Dick Vitale there. I appreciated the report coming out that CBS offered Dick Vitale a chair this weekend. I appreciate that. I think people called for it a year ago, him coming off. Uh, his sick, uh, his cancer and all that. I'm glad they offered him. He declined. That's his business. Uh, And if that's not, you know, if he doesn't need that travel and the craziness that is opening weekend, fair enough. But I appreciate that they at least offered. Um, So uh, good on CBS and Turner for doing that. All right. My other grievance is I think I've said a degree of this, but I've cranked it up. I am, I could, I've had enough of, Jay Billis. Like, it's just, wow. he's so pompous. He's so know-it-all. He's sitting there during the ACC broadcast, just keeps telling me how great each and every one of these ACC teams are, which I understand. We're arguing that the ACC is better than people are giving it credit for, and that's playing it. Like, he's arguing the point I want to make, but his approach to it just seems so high and mighty, so know-it-all, so Duke. I, I just, like, I, I just have grown very weary of it. Um, my wife, who is a Duke fan, uh, not that she watched him play in college, but still she comes from an area that would like him. As soon as I like, you know, dip my toe in the water of saying bad things about Jay Billis, she's like, I agree with you. She's like, I'm, I, I don't like his attitude. I don't like what he's saying. Like it's, it's not entertaining and it's, it's irritating me. So like, I don't think I'm the only one. So people keep talking about Jay Billis. He should go be the president of the NCAA and all this stuff. Like I, I'm for it. Get him out of the booth and let him go talk how smart he is for some other reason. And, and I think a lot of the ideas he has about NCAA are good. Like I'm not saying he's a dumb person or a space case like Bill Walton. I'm just saying I don't – I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of the know-it-all keep telling me how much he knows. 
I would like for him to be the president of the NCAA so I think he could learn something. I think it's really easy. I do it from time to time. <laughs> to to sit there and say the NCAA is doing this wrong. The NCAA is doing this wrong. Why doesn't the NCAA do this? He is one of those people that sometimes says things that I'm like, well, that's just not practical. Yeah, and perfect world. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, oh, the NCAA should absolutely be doing this. This is insane that they don't do this. And I'm like, okay, cool. So make him the president of the NCAA so he can do all those things. It's insane that we don't do all those things. I Here's the thing. I want Jay Billis to be the president of the NCAA so everybody else can hate him as much as I do. Like, I, I am right there with you. I want <laughs> him to be you. the president of the NCAA so I can just sit there and be like, yeah, Jay Billis, how does it feel to be the villain? To sit there and be like, well, actually, you know, we can't actually do this because all these other sports that are supported by the one or two sports that do make money for a school, um, if we start having to pay all the athletes like Jay Billis thinks they should be paid, turns out we won't be able to afford to be able to have all these other college athletics. So maybe we can't do that. And then I'll be like, oh, no, Jay Billis just hates the athletes. He thinks they're... He thinks college education's good enough. He just hates them. Blah, blah, blah. I would love that. I would love it. He would also be president for like a month before he said something that would get him fired. Because once everyone started doing that, he would chirp back. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I'm glad we're here together. I'm easy on broadcasters. Like we, we watch some ESPN Plus and... While I always commend you for your efforts on ESPN uh, Plus, because I thought you were going to say when you do well, you watch a lot there of PCU some games other people on ESPN out there. Plus, and that guy's just terrible. And there is some guys <laughs> on ESPN Plus that just aren't that great, and I am easy on them. Like I, I, you know, it's when I'm hard. watching it is a very low major team playing on there, and I hear stuff, and I'm like, eh, you know, it's a tough job, and and mm-hmm. I know what it's like sitting in one of those chairs on a broadcast. So like, I'm I'm easy on broadcasters. So I am aiming high here with Jay Billis and Bill Walton. They're at the highest level, and so I think they can take it. But I, I don't know. I wasn't impressed with ESPN's broadcasting this weekend. I didn't like Carl Ravitch. Um, I guess he was at the SEC. I think he I'm, was. I'm talking trash about him being at the Big 12, but he was at the SEC. Mm-hmm. I don't like him on, on the basketball broadcast as much, so for him carrying a tournament, I, I didn't love. I, I think they could afford some reshuffling of their crews and stuff next season to prepare them for the postseason tournaments, the conference tournaments. Cause I, I thought there was a lot to be desired. Uh, having watched a heck of a lot of basketball this weekend, I found myself on Saturday night preferring to watch Marquette uh, Xavier big East, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I wanted to watch that because I wanted to hear um, Gus, you know, I, I like what he brings to the table and he's a little zany and he's a play by play and he's yeah. a little zany, but it's, it's in the right realm. Um, and I sit here, and I, I know in the football season, I listen to Kirk and uh, Fowler on Saturday nights. Like, that's my default for Saturday nights is listen to those guys talk. Like, I have multiple TVs set up. I kind of want to hear what they have to say. Um, I I struggled with ESPN this weekend. with, And I watched a lot of ACC, and Jay Billis was doing that. And But, you know, Jay Billis came into town to let uh, Corey Alexander, you know, take off the rest of the week too. And I've I think I've – mentioned my issues with Corey Alexander being real comfortable with UVA on those broadcasts. So <laughs> I, I guess I'm throwing a lot of hate and I'm saying here, I'm easy on broadcasters, but I think I am aiming high here. I'm not talking crap on the ESPN plus, you know, 
SoCon guys. I'm I'm talking crap on Jay Billis. Yeah, um, you said a lot of broadcasters' names there. Um, I I would say Carl Ravage is fine. It's it's baseball is his number one, and, and so like, like baseball is a secondary sport for him. And I I think I honestly think that's ESPN just they're trimming down in terms of oh yeah that's what they're in doing in terms of yeah, numbers. I, so they're just gonna I mean is. their top guys are gonna be doing more than one thing. Um, John Shambi was doing the Big Twelve. I liked that. I like Shambi. Um, I like Shambi. That's who I was see. doing with Dick Vitale uh, at the Big Twelve. Um, and Dick not a voice I've always been excited to, oh, to I, blast. I've generate. loved, I've loved Dick Vitale. No, um, when I was younger, I, I'll admit, like I wasn't as into it. I think I've grown into it. I think as a, at an older age, I appreciate his excitement in a different way than I used to. I think when I was in middle school, I used to kind of make fun of Dick Vitale and I, I think I was wrong. Um, but I think I've grown up with it a little bit too. So, uh, yeah, there's there's some other good ones. I, I'd like to see those guys elevated. I'd like to see Sean be in a bigger role. I'd like, I don't know. Yeah, you you said Gus Johnson. Gus Johnson's great. Uh, I love great. Gus Johnson. I I I've said this before. I would watch Gus Johnson call a chess tournament. So, yeah. but are there any other grievances? Or are you ready to bring an actual expert on? I trust everything that our next guest says, and I just take whatever he say to be absolute truth and, and the, and the way. So let's bring him on. Mike Barber Joe. is back with us again this week. And Mike, we wanted to have you on as soon as we could get you on because the ACC tournament was last week. The NCAA tournament will be this week. And let's start with the ACC tournament. Let's start with the past. Um, for Virginia tech, it was not a repeat ACC tournament performance where they win the ACC tournament, but UVA uh, almost won the ACC tournament. They had a really good showing up until that ACC championship game where they ran into a Duke team that um, seems to be playing their best basketball right now. What was your take on yeah. the ACC tournament? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I went into it. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, and Tech and UVA fans won't want to hear it, but <laughs> I went into it. I, I picked Duke and, and Carolina to play in the final. Um, I thought that the Carolina game could trip Virginia up. I thought they would beat Clemson once they got there. I thought whoever came through was going to win. Uh, and Duke was just, I mean, I, I don't remember what the betting lines were, but to me, they were the prohibitive favorite. The way they were playing going in, uh, some of the matchup trouble they can, they cause. Um, it's just a team that has, it's done what a, a team like Duke is supposed to do, right? It's got a bunch of top-level young talent, gets better all year. Um, and then the big difference is under John Shire, they're really bought in defensively. Um, they're starting to look a little bit more like that floor-slapping defense that everybody else in the country kind of hated <laughs> when they were really having things humming. And you yes. know, they, they, they really are committed. <laughs> they really are committed though on the defensive end. They play really well there. They have the talent on the offensive end. Um, I think they've got a great chance. You know, we'll, we'll get forward it soon here, but I think they got a great chance to make a run to the final four, especially with their bracket uh, shaped up. So um, it, it's, it was what I expected. Uh, Virginia maybe outperformed expectations a little. I thought Tech was about what I thought. Um, you know, the, the season of the story of this Virginia Tech season was this team that the three of us would look at in paper and say, that looks like a pretty good team. And that's a team that could be top four in the ACC, uh, could maybe win an ACC regular season or a tournament. Uh, ended the year with all that momentum, and it just never came together. And guys, I went in the locker room after they lost and the, and, the, and the season was over. I know they ended up getting an NIT bid, which I think will be really good for that program. Um, but after their run there in Greensboro was over and 
I asked the guys, I said, did it feel like, and a couple of them interrupted me because they knew where I was going. They're like, yeah, it felt like we had all the pieces and we should have been really good. And they all said the same thing. They said, we never could get connected on defense. Uh, Mike Young said, you know, put it on him. He never found the right rotations and combinations. They just never were able to put it all together. And uh, that's disappointing because I do think it was a good collection of talent. And I think Mike Young's a good coach and um, that happens sometimes. Uh, So uh, disappointing there. I think Virginia's got to be happy with the way they played, especially in the wake of the Vanderplas injury. It's an interesting kind of curveball that they got thrown in. Um, they should be used to it because they had a, a Justin Anderson injury late in, in his uh, season. And then they had uh, DeAndre Hunter obviously go out before the UNBC loss. Uh, so they've been through this drill before. But, um, and, you know, Vanderplas wasn't putting up good numbers. But sometimes it shows you how important a guy is, statistics regardless, <laughs> because he comes out and all of a sudden they're forced into playing a big lineup. And it's a different style, and they're not spreading the floor. So I think it was easy for fans maybe sometimes to look at Vanderplas and be like, well, he's not hitting shots. Why is he even out there? Um, and then when you lose him, you realize, okay, well, now you're yeah. you're unable to spread the floor the way you want to. So, uh, yeah, I, I think you know Virginia goes into the NCAAs with some decent momentum, uh, and I think they were lucky, if you can be lucky when a bad thing happens, that Vanderplas's injury happened then instead of in the yeah. championship game. Yeah. And now, right, you're scrambling to reinvent yourself going into March Madness. I, I want to touch on Tech just because we'll leave them behind and we'll talk a lot more about the big bracket. So with Tech, what's your initial read coming into this postseason? I, I know they celebrated senior day, but they don't have to lose. Uh, Couture doesn't have to be gone. And I, I just wondered what your initial thoughts are about maybe the possibility of him being back any other rumblings about transfer portal with anybody, anybody else, uh, just kind of your thoughts on it. Are we going to see a lot of these same guys or are you uh, concerned about them missing some of these parts going into next year? You know, I think Grant Basile is going to come back. He, he didn't do senior day. He, he's been right. given the vibe that, you know, that's kind of the direction he's heading. I think he'll be back. I think Couture could be back. Um, Right. I mean, he's got some personal stuff there in Blacksburg that's going to keep him there. He's got a got a girlfriend there. And um, I don't know. And this isn't a knock on him, but you know, I don't I don't know that he's um, a coveted pro prospect. Right. He certainly is a guy who I think could be very good overseas or that kind of a thing. But um, I don't see any reason he couldn't. It's just a question of, hey, it is a grind. Right. And do you want to do that again? And um, but I, I think there's a chance you see Couture back. I think you will see Basili back. Um, I think you're going to see basically the same team now minus Mutz. Uh, this year you saw the yeah. same team minus Keve Aluma, and it never came together. Now, I don't know that it's anybody's fault it didn't come together, right? Um, I don't know that there's any blame you can ascribe. And, and certainly in a sense, I understand what Mike Young was saying when he said put it on me because it is the coach's job to get it to come together. But the fact that it didn't happen, I, I don't know that that makes me worry. It's not going to happen next year. I, I think it's a, it's the cliche we hear all the time that we sort of ignore, right? Every year's a new team. And mm-hmm. um, even if you got a lot of guys back, it's a different roster and a different, and I don't, I think we probably always ignore that and think it's kind of BS, but I think this year for tech was a good example of, yeah, you do have almost all the pieces back, but it's not the same team and you are starting over. One thing more I want to say about NIT before we get to the stuff that the people really care about UNC turned down the idea of being in the NIT this year. They wanted to get to their posties and move on to next year. Already we're seeing guys enter the transfer portal for our area, local guy, Tyler Nickel out of East Rock, who was down there. He's tra- he's in the portal already. 
Um, what's your thoughts about how all that went down? I, I personally actually didn't have a problem with UNC saying, hey, we didn't make the NCAA, we're out. I, I didn't have a huge problem with that for that caliber of program to say that up front. Um, but what's your view on that? And then also, you know, what, what else might we be seeing out of UNC? Yeah. And Justin McCoy, who, who transferred to yeah. Carolina from Virginia, he's in the portal as well. Um, so I'm torn on that. I think if there was a way to play in the NIT and not need, you know, Armando Baycott to play extra games and Caleb, you know, like those guys are done and I get it, man. Yeah. Um, you know, I understand that, but there's a lot of young players in that program who are going to be playing big roles next year. I think North Carolina would have really benefited. Here's the problem. They had six or seven guys that I think could have played and could have gotten them through the NIT. I don't think it's a problem. I don't think you, I don't think it's impossible to play with seven scholarship guys and a couple walk-ons. The problem is seven scholarship guys and a couple walk-ons, you can't really practice. So the whole thing about, Hey, it's going to get you extra time and you can practice and build your practices are going to be all disjointed. I mean, you can go out and get some practice players and there's different rules with managers and what they can do, but your practices aren't going to be high caliber. And that's the thing I think people thought they said, Oh, well, if Baycott doesn't want to play, why is the rest of the team or Caleb love doesn't want to, the thing is, when you take those guys out, it sounds great on paper. Let's get the young guys play. Let's get that experience. Let's get a jump start on next year. And I think I agree with that. But what people forget is practice. And I don't believe, from the people I talked to down there, I don't believe they thought they would have the numbers to have real practices. And then you're not really getting anything out of it. Do you think that UNC turning down that NIT bid allowed Virginia Tech to get the NIT bid? Because I'll be honest, I was I, I said to Leland, I was like, I don't know if this team's even going to get an NIT invitation. It's a great question, especially when you see the fact that they're on the road, right? Yeah. And they're at Cincinnati, and you kind of, you know, you can always picture the bracket, even though they don't necessarily, but you know, kind of figure out. So I don't know. I mean, a year ago, I believe if they don't win in Brooklyn, they don't make the NCAA's. Technically, we'll never know. But again, you look at the way that bracket shook out. Yeah math tells you they would have been yeah. first or second team out. Uh, right. I think the same thing here. I think there's a good chance if Carolina takes the bid uh, that tech is out. Um, maybe there was a little like, okay, ACC, if one ACC goes out, let's get another ACC in. I don't know that, uh, but I'm glad for Virginia tech. I think everything I just told you about Carolina is true for Virginia tech, except they're going to have plenty of numbers. They got plenty of players. And um, even if some guys, and, and I don't believe this to be the case, um, but even if some guys didn't want to play or opted out, you know, bowl style, they'd have enough. Um, I think they're going to have the full complement of guys. The question for me is th they've got a tough draw. And I'm not just saying that because my, my Rutgers team got snubbed by the NCAs <laughs> and they're in that path. But if they're able to win Cincinnati, Rutgers, and get some, that may go back to what you guys were asking about. Are some of these guys going to come back? You leave with a real good feeling about how you're playing. That might be, as opposed to the downer of, yeah, the year wasn't great. We got knocked out about when we expected in, in Greensboro. But you go and make a little run in the NIT, and, and I know you know, the fans aren't going to go wild for it. But within the program, you're going to suddenly have a feeling of, hey, we are pretty good, and we can do this. Um, I think it's great experience for the young guys, and I think it's potentially a springboard in that regard of, hey, this looks good. Let's all come back and give it another shot. 
I'll tell you what, I that Mulcahy guy from Rutgers, not not my favorite guy to watch. <laughs> it's it's probably not the the most fun team to watch, but uh, when you went there, you're hoping that they're going to get through. And I, I thought they got. I thought Rutgers and Clemson both um, were snubs. And and I get you know believe me as a Rutgers fan, they lost they blew a game to Minnesota, so you you can only point the finger at yourself, right? Clemson lost to Louisville. You can only point the finger at yourself. That being said, I thought both of those teams were better than Nevada, who made the field. Um, but again, yeah. you, you have only yourself to blame when, sure. when you go and take a stupid loss late in the year. You're, you know, it's the Seth Greenberg rule, right? You know, you're not wrong, but it's your own fault you're in this situation. <laughs> That's true. But I want to talk about, let's talk about UVA uh, and focus on them and what lies ahead for them. I thought the Furman matchup for them uh, in a in a lot of ways, is maybe their toughest matchup. I, I like the region they're in, but you look at that first round matchup and you're like, all right, just don't stumble against Furman. Yeah, and I've I've talked to a bunch of coaches today uh, who coached against Furman, trying to get a feel for like, okay, what what's real? What's the level you're playing? You know, all mm-hmm. it's hard. It's hard to kind of you know equate it sometimes. And everybody I talked to said, hey, their offensive efficiency. Which guys, according to Ken Palm, only two teams in the ACC have better offensive efficiency than Furman does, and that's ridiculous. It's Miami and Pitt are the only yeah. two offenses in the ACC that are more efficient by the Ken Palm metric. Um, so that tells you that there's something real there. The other thing that's scary, if you're Virginia, is this is the kind of offense that can beat the pack line. They like to swing the ball in the perimeter. They like to reverse the ball. They can get going. They can shoot it from all five spots. I had a coach kind of giving me his scouting report. He said, you know, I don't put my name, but here, I'll read you our scouting report. And he started reading and I stopped him. I said, Hey, are you reading UMBC from a couple of years ago? And he said, Hey, there's a lot of similarity to playing on the perimeter, moving the ball, reversing the ball. Um, it's, it's going to be real interesting. Um, Furman, uh, I think pushes it a little bit more um, than, than UVA would like. Um, they'll, they'll push it up the court on a make or a miss. Um, but if they don't get a shot early, they'll settle in and they'll play that good offense. They're willing to work the ball around the perimeter until they, they get something against the pack. Um, and again, they've got five guys who can shoot it. They've got you know nine guys who can score. And as you're trying to gauge, like, okay, could Furman compete with ACC teams? My first thought is no, right? I can look at who they played and you know they lost to NC State and they lost to Old Dominion. When they played bigger or even slightly bigger programs, it didn't go their way. Their number nine scorer, is a transfer from Wake Forest who was an off-again, on-again starter at Wake Forest. Now, that's a small sample size, but it tells me, like, hey, if that guy's number nine, if Carter Witt from Wake Forest is the number nine scorer on your team and is playing minutes, not like he was hurt or not healthy, um, you got eight guys better than that, you're not that far off talent-wise. All that being said, I think this comes down just like every other Virginia game probably I've ever watched. Do they do the things they need to do? If Virginia hits outside shots, hits its layups, hits its free throws, and is dialed in on defense, I think, you know, they smoke Furman. The problem is, how many times have I watched them play in the last two years where they've done that, all of that? Not very many. And that's what makes Virginia so susceptible uh, in the NCAA tournament. One thing in UVA's favor here, you know, they have the ultimate, you know, don't look over the first round opponent because – when you look back at the history, they put it up every year, what the record is, the one seed versus the 16 seed. They're the one. And while this isn't a one seed, they're, they're a four seed here, they're not going to be overlooking anybody, and no one's going to have to talk about it. They, they all know 
that and, and they used it as motivation, but they're not going to be overlooking Furman for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think they overlooked UMBC. Like, I don't think overlooking is ever a problem for this group. I, I think they do have that professional business-like at, attitude. I think the problem is sometimes they run into a really hot team. UMBC was a really hot team. Furman yeah. has the ability to be that kind of hot on offense. Um, you know, it, it, one of the coaches I talked to today about them, they said, hey, they got two great players, right? Two of the best players in the Southern Conference. But if you take one or two of them away, they've still got six or seven other guys who can score. Um, so it's a really hard to team to decide what are you going to do? So what you're going to do is you're going to be the pack line. You're going to deny penetration, deny the rim, make it hard and make them hit jump shots. And if they go UMBC style and hit all those shots, boy, we could be in for another thriller. Because they're on the path for UVA and, and Joe kind of alluded to in maybe that second round game, not being as tough, particularly with, you know, no one has a lot of faith in the five seed there that UVA could face. Let's move past that. Alabama would be assumed to be waiting there for them the next weekend. Alabama is one of the biggest stories in college basketball, the biggest story in college basketball. We have just so you know, Joe and I have railed against Alabama on here. And, you know, I've probably been specific with some of the players actions reported actions um, there, but I, I, my bigger thing is the program. Like, I don't like the decision-making of the program, the coaches, and on up. That's my issue with Alabama. W- what's your read on that situation there with Alabama? A- and, you know, start start with the storyline of what Alabama's doing. And then, you know, if UVA is able to make it to that game, your you're look at what UVA would do there. Yeah, I mean, it shapes up to be like the ultimate – not to be dramatic, but like good versus evil, right? Like here's Not Virginia. exactly how I look at that. I, I know, I, but like, I mean, here's Virginia <laughs> and, and Tony Bennett, who's always going to do the Very right good. thing. Yeah. And, and, and you know what I mean? And, and, and then here's Nate Oates where you're just like, I mean, you're just right out in public and center stage, just selling your soul for wins. I mean, yeah. And the things he said <laughs> to, to, you know, to not to relitigate all that, but the things he said, make it worse. You've got a player who brought the firearm to a shooting that ends up killing a young woman. And the idea that there is any explanation for that, that you're comfortable with having him in the next game. Like this wasn't like, Hey, we sat him for two months. We went through everything and this is, you know, there's no charge. So we're, this is where this was like, yeah, I, I kind of heard the story and you know, we're good. And it, it, it blows my mind. And I got the murderer. I got the murderer. Out right. of it, 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 it blows my mind because right. Yeah. You, we went that far. It's just, it's such a clear and obvious, hey, I don't care. Winning is more important than addressing this. And the fact that it is out there and it's so public, like it's not some cover up. It's not some, we're not, it's not like a year later we find out, wow, Brandon Miller brought the gun to that shooting and NATO's let him play. You know, then at least you're, this is, everybody knows everything. And NATO's is like, yeah, I, I know, but he's really good. He's probably going <laughs> to be the first college player taken in the draft. And I'm, I'm just going to let him play. And it's just, it's gall, it's galling to me <laughs> um, on the floor. They're really good. And they have a chance to be a final four team. The only thing, and, and I'll say this, maybe it's a little too strong, but I do kind of root against them because of that. Yeah. You know, in my job, I, I don't root, but yeah, there's part of me. It's like, I'd love to see them go out and, and it would be fitting in many ways. If somebody like, it doesn't have to be Virginia, somebody like a Tony Bennett is who sent Nate Oates home. Right. Because you'd be like, OK, look, you can do it the right way. Now, the more likely scenario 
is that the guy who's doing it the wrong way <laughs> makes yeah. his way to the final four. Uh, but the one area where I think they're, they're susceptible is got nothing to do with basketball. It's this storyline is only going to get bigger in the NCAA tournament. The national media is going to keep hitting it. Every local reporter is going to start hitting it. That's at your site. Every team you play wants their turn to tell that story. Uh, at some point that's going to grind on the players who were not involved, uh, certainly on Miller, hopefully on Oates. Maybe at some point he, he gets his head out of his backside and is like, wow, I really am the villain here in this story uh, in so many ways. Um, so Alabama is the easiest team to root against in this bracket. Um, you know, it's, it's a different level than however I might feel about Buzz Williams. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a different level of, uh, you know, there's part of me, I think that would be very happy if Buzz Williams made it to a final four, uh, as weird as that is to say and think there's no part of me that would celebrate NATO. It's going to a final four this year with those circumstances. And I hear what you're saying. And I know they ended up winning the sec and played a lot better in that sec tournament than they did in the final few games of the regular season. But I do wonder, you know, when you get uh, that region is not easy for them. Um, you look at Maryland as a potential second round matchup. Maryland has a lot of big wins this season. And that, that would be a game that I look at and I'm like, who knows? Um, and then if they get past Maryland, you know, you have a UVA. And that's that's why I say for UVA, I mean, I, I guess if you're UVA, you could you could play Purdue or Kansas, who are also up and down one seeds. But I, I don't hate that if UVA gets that far. I don't hate that matchup for them. And then you're looking at Arizona or Baylor, who, I mean, this, and this, I guess, goes to the point of almost when anyone says, oh, I have so-and-so, in the final four, I, I think if you look at any top four seed and you say that's who I have in the final four, it, it'd be really hard to go. Oh, that's crazy. Just because of how wide open it is this year. Yeah. And I don't think there's anybody in my final four. Well, that's not true. I think as I have my bracket right now, I do have Duke um, coming out of that, that region, because I think with their two seven footers, they're the one matchup that Purdue didn't want uh, on their way to a possible final four. Um, you, Zach Eady is an impossible matchup unless you happen to have two seven footers hanging around. One of whom is just a tremendous rim protector and lively. And that's exactly what Duke has, but yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that um, Arizona is certainly a team that could just straight up beat Alabama. I think Virginia on a really good day could beat Alabama. Uh, Maryland on a good day could beat Alabama. And then you throw in the fact that Alabama may have a bad day because of everything they're going to have to deal with. And that, that echo of every time being asked about um, that's got to wear on them at some point. Now maybe it's a rallying point and maybe it brings them tighter together and all those cliches. But um, I would think at some point in this tournament, they're not going to be at their sharpest. Uh, UVA hopes it's against them, but it could come later down the road against maybe an Arizona or something. So yeah. what's your thoughts though? You hit on the Duke side of this. I was going to ask that you, you kind of said it there. I don't like that. The ACC just keeps getting, I mean, they did it last year. They, everybody's talking down on the ACC and then they went out in the tournament and really performed well with hard matchups. I, they, they had tough matchups and they won. They got team to the final two teams in the final four, one team in the championship winning at halftime. Here we are again with the ACC look being looked down upon what's what's your view on that and and i i think that's some ludicrous crap i think you're the expert of ludicrous crap i think that's some ludicrous crap <laughs> I, i'm inclined to agree with you now you know it's funny the way it all shook out clemson and carolina are two of the first four left out right right and so that means the committee did 
have them close. And now you can point to, well, Clemson, don't lose to Louisville. Um, Carolina, you know, any, any number of, of their slip-ups. Uh, how close were they? But it, it, I thought for sure they would get six. Um, I thought Clemson would be in – I thought Clemson would be where Pittsburgh is, uh, playing in the first four for an 11 seed. I, I think that's what, what they've got Pittsburgh and Mississippi State on the line for. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Pittsburgh – I mean, Pittsburgh came within a basket of on the road of winning the ACC title. Right. And now you're telling me that, you know, they're, they're barely worthy. They're, they're one of the last teams into the end. That I don't get. Um, so I think there is a general disrespect. And I don't understand the storyline of, well, when Duke and Carolina are down, people don't think the ACC is good. First, I don't think Duke's down. Like Duke's really good. I think they've got a, a loaded young team that got better as the year went on. I think they, they're exactly where they should be. Um, you know, they're single-digit losses. They won the the ACC tournament. They're playing great defense. Um, I, I just I, I'm not buying I'm not buying the narrative to begin with. Like I think even if Duke and Carolina are down, there are some programs that should command enough respect that if they're good and winning and beating Duke and Carolina, that they should be held to that esteem. But more importantly, I, I don't buy the narrative because I don't think Duke's down. Um, yeah. And I don't think Carolina's that far down. I mean, they were a, a bubble team. That's not great. It was a disappointing year, believe me. But it's not like those two teams were garbage. I mean, Duke is great, I think, this year. And Carolina was disappointing, but still on the bubble. But uh, Miami, a solid program. Year after year, they're a winning program. They were the number one seed in the ACC. Last year, they made their run in the tournament. What, why can't we give them respect? UVA, I mean, like, they're sitting right there. They play in the in the championship game. I, I don't I don't get this. I don't get I Big 12 is good. I'm not trying to take away from the Big 12. They're a solid conference. They've been playing well for years now. I'm not I'm not trying to say the ACC is better than the Big 12 this year. But why do we have to push the ACC down to say that? That's what I I just don't understand it. It's certainly odd to me like again Nevada is the one that I come back to. Yeah. Um, that's where being the ACC is supposed to tip you over. Right? right? You say Clemson, Carolina, Nevada, they're all really close. And then you could throw in Rutgers in the Big Ten, you know, there. But they're all really close. The, the competition, the conference, um, you know, Bubba Cunningham being on the committee. Um, again, I, I think that's a tough spot if you're thinking about Carolina. If you're parsing Carolina and you say, okay, well, your AD's on the committee. Well, now, if you're on the backside of the bubble and you sneak in, I think everybody's kind of like, oh, man, they were doing the guy in the room a favor. Yeah. But if you're on the front side of the bubble, which clearly Clemson and Carolina both were as as the first two of the first four left out, it, it surprises me at this point that he couldn't push one of them across the finish line. Um, and again, it, and I keep picking on Nevada, but that that seemed like the slot that, that should have gone to Clemson. Well, and, and Leland touched on it. And look, I know uh, they get the injury in the ACC uh, semifinal loss to Duke, but depending on the health of Miami, that's a team that I think is going to surprise a lot of people. I I watched them play this year and I was like, this is a really good basketball team. Like the fact that they weren't in the top 25 other than like in the twenties, I was like, I I don't understand. Kind of like you touched on with Pitt. They were a three pointer away from winning the ACC regular season championship. Miami does win the ACC regular season championship and everyone's like, Oh yeah, I guess we'll, throw them in as a five and I'm like okay I I, I just I don't know I, I watched Marquette play Marquette didn't look good to me like I, I don't know 
Kansas, yeah. everyone's like, Kansas has all these quad one wins, which is true, but they have a lot of quad one losses too. And Miami doesn't. Like, Miami goes out and wins a lot of games. They play really well. Uh, and that's a team, I think, looking, I know Houston's also not healthy. Man, I, that's that's a Miami team that I think is elite eight run is not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, and we've been, we've been saying that around the ACC for a while now. That now the, the North Shadow Mirror injury could certainly be be devastating. Sure. We don't know his status. Um, they need him to be mm-hmm. that level good, I think. Yeah. But I mean, they got great veteran offensive players. They've been better on defense this year. Um, I mean, it feels like the kind of year you can have a special run and maybe Coach L's ready to to hang it up after a good run. You know, I I mean, all of those. And yet, people around the country seem to be discounting them and. Uh, this is what I keep saying with, with Miami in particular, maybe Pittsburgh too, and even Virginia. It feels like everybody's giving them the first or second month of the year treatment. Like, ah, oh, they look good, but let's wait and see. But hey, guys, we're in March. Like the NCAA tournaments, what more do you want to see? Like they've done it. They've put it on paper for four months. Uh, but for whatever reason, everyone's still got a wait and see attitude. And you know, that's what it was for the ACC last year. And they showed everybody, right? They had three in the Elite Eight. They had two in the final four. Um, so c- can they do that again? Yeah, maybe. I, you know, I don't know. Like, I, Seeding's I look harder. At this, yeah, I think yeah. so. They, I, I think they got kind of buried in the seeds. I will say Texas A&M got the, the worst shaft in the seeding this year. But I thought Pittsburgh is underseeded. I thought Miami is underseeded. I thought Duke is underseeded. I thought when Duke beat Virginia, I thought Duke had a chance to be a three. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Duke had a chance to be a three. Virginia at four is where I had them. Um, I thought that was right. Uh, but they gave my- Duke a good path, though. I like if maybe if they're a little underseated, they they kind of stuck them in a good little path. I think so too. And again, um, I don't know that you know how good is a path if you have to face Purdue. But if you're Duke, that's the one. You know, Duke's probably the one five seed that's like okay, Purdue isn't. You know, you don't just rip up your bracket after Purdue. Because I think they have the size with those seven footers to to contend there. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. But um, I think I, as of now, like I said, I've got Duke in my final four. I think um, they will be the, the the standard bearer for for the ACC in this tournament. But yeah, if you're the conference, Virginia, Miami, um, I think Pittsburgh's got a tough road. Um, and, and like I said, seedings did not do any many favors. But um, there are some teams that can make a little noise. You're invited to be in the exports bracket pool as all of our listeners are so you don't have to give it all away here you don't you don't have to tell us your national champion you can give us a range of teams if you want i'm eager to know who your national champion is if you're willing to share it i want to know as high as as few teams narrowing your national championship pick but also maybe like your number one surprise that you would would offer up to listeners to uh to ponder you know one team that you think really has a chance to make a, a much deeper run than than most think yeah, and I'll I'll just go with let me say it this way. I'll give you some guys that I think are underseeded but can still succeed. Um I think Texas A&M was given a horrible path. Uh I think Penn State's good. I think Xavier's really good. I I think they were given just a tough a tough draw of teams that they would have to kind of get fight through. Um but I think Texas A&M is really good. Um you know, Texas A&M, Texas Xavier going into this were teams that I was like I'm going to pick them as I don't know if they're all sleepers because, you know, Texas was going to be a two, three seed. And I think they, what, they got the two, uh, but those were like three teams that I had in my, and all three of them are in the same region. Yeah. So to me, that is, um, 
that feels a little region of death-ish, except for the fact that I think it has the most susceptible one seed in Houston. I'm not in love with Houston. Um, the Sasser injury is a big part of that, obviously. Um, but in general, I, I just, I think there's a bunch of teams that could trip up. I mean, I, I think about, and if I've got my sights right, Houston, if they had to play Auburn in Birmingham, like I could see Houston losing that game, especially if Sasser's not back. Um, so those are some teams that, that I really like. Um, I, uh, I've been high, although I sort of, I don't know, I come and go with, with Xavier. Um, but I do, I do like them. The last time I had my bracket penciled in, cause I haven't finished it yet. That's why I'm kind of hedging here on some of these, but my final four, I will tell you at that, at the current penciled moment was Arizona, Duke, uh, Xavier and Kansas. Uh, that's where I was. I don't know if I completely buy into Kansas. Uh, but as I went through that bracket, I don't love UCLA. I, I don't, I don't trust them. Um, I thought that was the weakest region for a one seat to be able to, to carry through. Like I said, I think Houston is the most vulnerable, which has me interested in A&M, Texas and, and uh, Xavier up there. I ended up with Xavier again in pencil right now on my bracket. Um, and I told you, like, I, I think I probably would have had Purdue advancing through against anybody but Duke. And it's not that I'm, oh, my God, Duke's so amazing. It's it's the matchup and, and what they can uh, throw at Zach Eady. So I think that's interesting. Everybody wants to know what Marquette's going to do with, with you know, Shaka, and, and he's a proven tournament coach. I'm not blown away by Marquette. I, I don't – maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. I just – they're good. They're, they're good. And they, you know, they deserve the seed. They got all that. But I just – I'd be surprised if they made it through the final four. I don't see it. Um, you know, Kentucky is going to be interesting because of the talent they put on the floor. Kentucky's not particularly good. Right. So you just I'd like to see a little bit more from them to think they're going to do it now. Like they never right. put it all together. This is exact. Good- exactly. But look at that roster. Could they put it together? Sure. So um, again, I, I think that, you know, I would like Duke in that matchup also, but um, those, so those are some of the guys that, that, that I'm looking at. And that is my final four right now. Although, um, as you could tell, my heart's not at it. I'm not, I'm not committed to those four. I'm not committed to None those of those four yet. Rutgers, so I, your heart's not I love, yeah, that, <laughs> I love this. And again, this, I think speaks a little bit to the wide open nature of this tournament. Some of those teams you mentioned, I have first round exits. Yeah. And, and I think like, that's fair. I, one. <laughs> I, you know, the one, is that what you said? I know. Well, I know you aren't gonna be picking Xavier deep. <laughs> nope. I I like yeah. Kennesaw State. I got to see Kennesaw State up close and personal. That team can play. That's a good yeah, good see, team. And I and I've got Xavier possibly in the final four, right. which tells you. Right. But again, I think for for both of us, and that's how the bracket it's got a lot to do with Houston. And sure. I don't know if you tell me Sasser's back, and I mean they were certainly really impressive when I saw them play against Virginia. Um, so certainly that could be. And A and M, man, I just I thought A and M was going to be a five seed. Um, and would have a path like what, what I see in front of Duke. I think that the committee penalized Buzz Williams for being Buzz Williams. I have no <laughs> no problem with that because I spent all those seasons wishing I could penalize him for being Buzz Williams. I get it, um, but I don't think it's fair to that team. They're, they're better than a seven seed. They're certainly better well, than having to play, I think, an underseeded Penn State team. Um, I mean, that's a good gosh. I mean, that if you told me Texas A&M was playing Penn State in the Sweet 16, I'd be like, yeah. Seems quite possible. Seems reasonable. The fact that they're playing in the first round, other than stick it to Buzz Williams, I don't get the rationale. Before we hop off the men's bracket, let me just ask, you know, you're, I know you cover Virginia Tech and UVA, but you're in Richmond. How, who do you have Kansas playing in the Sweet 16? 
let me take a look here. So I've got them beating through, 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 through. Where do I have VCU? Because I have VCU winning that first game against St. Mary's. Love it. Do you have um, them beating UConn? I don't. In fact, I have uh, UConn going through to play Kansas. Um, lame. Yeah. <laughs> I, here's the thing with VCU. Because I, I like them. I like the way they sure. play. Um, it's just, to me, they're just, the helter-skelter thing mm-hmm. isn't dependable when you get to March. <laughs> it can be. Difficult. It can be on fire. But, you know, there's going to be a game in March, and, and I'm guessing it's against Connecticut, where they're kicking 11 balls into the seats. Um, Some shots don't go down. Some layups don't go down. Um, You know, I saw them play. I guess it was Howard I covered in the regular season. Mm -hmm. And I I love ECU, but I described it as um, it felt like a drunken game of hot potato, the way they were moving the ball around. Like, you didn't always know where it was going to end up, what was going to happen. And, um, you know, but they are a style that gives people trouble, right? They are a style that that gives people – fits and especially that second game you know you get the first one the first opponent is going to be very well prepared i just think i think vc is pretty good so i think they're going to win the game then you get to that next one and you got one day and i know that the assistants have been scouting and all that good stuff but to really get your team ready it's such a quick turnaround for something that even though it's it's popular you don't see it in the ncaa tournament as much um, vcu does the crazy out of control hair on fire helter skelter thing at the highest level of anybody in the country, right? And 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 that's why they're here, and you don't see a lot of other teams who do that. Yeah. I guess I, I, was, I agree I, I was, to an extent. Um, sorry, Leland. I, yeah. I'll agree to an extent, but I don't have him playing UConn, I guess. So where, where Whoa, do you have them? You got Rick Patino. Patino, the vampire. Right. So I've, got, <laughs> I've got Patino already starting his new job before they even <laughs> At UConn. <laughs> or St. No, John's. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. There, there are some interesting coaches out there too. And Patino is one of them. Um, you know, buzz at A&M. I keep matching shock sure. the names that, you know, and the guys who, um, either you think are great coaches or great tournament coaches, um, all of that. And that's, I mean, it's like how many, you know, Tom Izzo, all he does is, is win in March and you know, they're just guys out there that you're yeah. like, okay, you're like, I, I don't, I don't have to know anything about Iona for me to be like, ah, keep an eye on them because yeah. of the guy on the sidelines. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe we're giving them too much credit, but we're not alone because uh, there's ADs out there clamoring to hire them. So. Sure. Um, I, I know Leland, I think I know where you want to go. So I'll steer the conversation here. Um, Virginia tech women as a one seed is just a huge, huge jump for that program. It's, it's massive. It's completely deserved, right? Like it's not one of those, Whoa, Texas one seed. Like who did who got snubbed or like they're a one seed, man. Like I mean, the, Charlie Cream, who's the the Joe Lenardi on the women's side, was projecting that you know kind of a you know four games games out, four days out. Um, th- this program is the real deal. Um, Kenny Brooks has been building there. Obviously, I know Kenny real well from covering when he was at JMU. He's been building there and, and building towards this. Liz Kitley is a just a legitimate star. I mean, a true star that you can build around. He's got great players around her. Uh, Georgia Amor, um, just the latest in his line of those Australian point guards. When I first covered him, he had Jess Chikowitz, who was an Australian point guard playing for him at, at JMU, and he's kept that that line going. Um, I think it's remarkable. I think it's going to be really exciting in Blacksburg, the atmosphere, right? Because they get home games, they get to host. 
Um, I think the people are going to turn out, and I'm talking six, seven thousand. Uh, you know, a real good crowd, a great environment. They've earned it and deserve it. Um, and I don't, I don't want this to sound. The fact that the men are on the road in the NIT, I think that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always going to be, you know, if the men are home for the NIT and the women are home for the NCAA, I think the women are a bigger deal, but there's going to yeah. be a segment that sure. disagree, right? There's going to be a segment that, so I think the fact that, that the men got shipped out, uh, the women are the only show in town and they're one of the best shows in the country. Uh, to me, it's, it is what it is. It's a little disappointing that they would then have to go, assuming they advance out to Seattle. <laughs> uh, that is a tough trip for fans and, and, and whatnot. And I get why they do the women's bracket the way they do, but um, it, it, that's, that to me is tough. Like one of the reasons that the four regions are nice on the men's side is uh, if you're that level of a team, you stay in your region. That's why it's called a region. And um, the fact that Virginia tech after all that could, could be out in Seattle playing, but Hey, that's the way it is. And I think this has been a, a special season, but not, it doesn't at all have the feel of like a fluky, like, where did they come from? This is something we've seen coming. And more importantly, I think it's something that Kenny Brooks can sustain. What do you think about their path? Uh, you know, they open up with Chattanooga where their assistant coach from last year just left. He's now head coach there. So he's very familiar with the team. You know, while I'm not going to say they should be real worried about that, that's, it's an interesting thing that the tournament did there by having that familiarity there. But then, you know, matchups, matchups, and then you start to see that UConn matchup uh, in the Elite Eight uh, potential for them. What, what's your views on Tech's path to a hopeful Final Four? Yeah, you, you know, I think that somebody's going to have to play UConn, right? Yeah. And, and, and there's other good teams out there, too, so it's not just about that. Uh, yeah. I, I don't mind their path. I, I think if, if you're the one seed, right? Like if, if you believe that you're the seed you are, you're given a one seed. If you believe you're that good, I don't think you look at Tech's path and think like, oh man, that's, that's right. I think you look at, I think other teams look at it like, man, we think we're pretty good, but we've got to go through Virginia Tech. I think that's legitimately where they're at now. Um, you know, it, until you get to underseeding at that level, you know, the path is what it is on the one hand. On the other hand, you know, not getting UConn till the Elite Eight, um, to me, that's the first, you know, that's the first time we're going to say, is this program what we believe it is, which is Final Four caliber. If you're a one seed, you're believed to be Final Four caliber. Now, you can lose a great game in the Elite Eight, and I'm still going to say you were Final Four caliber. Um, but that's, to me, I think Virginia Tech is every bit a one seed. And I think they would win that matchup. I don't think that's one to circle and say, oh, man, it ends right there. I, I could be a great game, absolutely. But, you know, this team with their inside-out ability, with a steady point guard, with their post-scoring, um, with their experience, there, there's nobody out there that you're going to throw at them in the Elite Eight as a one seed that I was going to be like, oh, geez, well, there it goes. That's a, that's a you know, nationally recognized great journalist there, Joe saying the point that I've been making for the last couple of weeks, just, just to make, make sure that's clear. I, are, we all, are we all in agreement? I don't, he's been down. He's like these last few weeks, we've had actually like fairly heated. I arguments. don't think they're going to beat UConn. Um, arguments I, enough for, for listeners to like contact me this week and be like, why, why was Joe so mean last week to you? Um, you know, one of those, one of those was my mom, but you know, <laughs> that's my point. That is that they are, they are worthy of having the hope, like the realistic hope that they play in the final four. And I think when you get 
seated number one, everything you just said. I don't need to repeat everything you just said. I've been saying it the last two weeks too. So I'm glad a real journalist who does is capable of looking at things without maroon glasses on, because obviously his maroon glasses got hit off at some point by Buzz Williams. Um, <laughs> you know, like they are they are a valid hope for being in the final four. Can they get beat by UConn? Absolutely, it can happen. But I I agree with you, Mike, that I don't think that takes away that they are capable and deserving of being in this spot and having that hope isn't just some you know, fairy tale for me to hope that Virginia Tech's in the final four, because I think they legitimately can do that. Getting to the final four through a national brand like UConn, to me, is the next step for this program. Um, It's the next thing to do. Like, you don't go, you don't skip steps when you're building a program. You might have a great year, but if you're building, and I think Kenny Brooks has built something, you don't skip steps, and that is the next step. Um, Would I be stunned if they lost to UConn? No. Would I be stunned if they beat UConn? No. Would I be stunned if they're in the final four as a one seed? No, right? I mean, um, I'd be stunned if they lost in the first round. I'd be surprised and disappointed if they lost in the second. Um, and then after that, I mean, I'm always, you know, I think I've said this on, on your show before, but like, you know, Marv Levy losing four Super Bowls, that's amazing. And oh, you can't win a big game. You know how many big games you win to go lose four Super Bowls in a row? So once you get to the Elite Eight, um, you're kind of splitting hairs. It, it was a knock on Tony Bennett, right? He can't get to the final four. I'm like, well, he was minutes away from one when they, when they gacked it up against Syracuse and Chicago. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, I think Virginia Tech should have the expectation and hope of being a Final Four team, and I wouldn't be stunned if they are. Yeah, I, just my counter was, as much as I love Kenny Brooks, I loved him when he was at JMU and I was a student there and watched the JMU teams. I love him now that he's at Virginia Tech and what he's been able to do there. And I'm not trying to take anything away or say Kenny Brooks isn't a good coach. I don't want that to be what people take away from this argument. <laughs> but Kenny Brooks in the tournament has not had the greatest amount of success. They were a five seed last year and lost in the first round. I look at their bracket and even now I have them beating Tennessee, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee beat them. That was a close game when they played earlier this year. So Let's get past Tennessee. Let's. I, and my thing was, let's get to the Sweet 16, and then let's say this is a team that's going to go to a Final Four. And they're a one seed. So obviously, people who do this professionally, I don't, um, think they're capable of going to a Final Four in terms of making the bracket and stuff. Um but with Tennessee's, with UConn's in their path, I, I do. I don't know. And maybe that's just me being scared of a brand. Um, but those are two huge brands that are final fours in their blood. And I, I do think there's a reason that it's going to be tough for Virginia Tech. And I would just like to, I guess I, I'm saying I need to see it before I can believe it. And, and that's fair. That, and that's what I mean when I say I think this is the next step mm-hmm. is to go to a Final Four and go through Tennessee. I think is more brand than, than bite at this point. Um, not that they're bad, but but uh, you know they're not. But UConn to me is, is still. I mean, if you go to a Final Four through UConn, whether you're a one seed, two seed, whatever you are, that's impressive. And um, again, not saying that I necessarily anticipate them doing it, but I would not be surprised if they did. And that tells you where they are. Um, they're just they're a legitimate one seed and a legitimate one seed can and, and in some ways should be in the final four. I, I'll admit on in on Joe's side of things, I was happy we don't have Iowa in front of us. I, I I'll admit that. Like Iowa is my worst. I did not want to see that two seed. Um and, and I'm not saying UConn was too far behind him on that list, but 
hey, you're gonna have to beat somebody good to be good. So I'm I'm comfortable, hopeful. I I think I'm legitimate to be hopeful. Yeah, I, I think so. And and I, 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 I hope <laughs> and I hope that the, the the fan turnout, you know, first two rounds kind of shows that. Um, and, and gives them what I think will be a send off because I do think they'll win those two games um, and, and gives them the kind of the proper send off to, to send them on their way with some momentum. And it's going to be a great story. And uh, I don't want to wait another year or two for, for Kenny to break through. Like, let's do it now. Yeah. Mike, the other local team that matters to our listeners, JMU, uh, they're in the tournament. They won that CAA great first year in the CAA. You know, that's the success of the women's basketball team is one of the first thing we mentioned when, JMU was coming into Sunbelt. We talked about the women's sports. We, you know, we talked about it all. We talked about softball and here's women's basketball doing exactly like exactly that as they've done across a lot of sports, really making it deep into the Sunbelt, earning their name at JMU. But they get in here into this tournament as a 14 seed and they have to go to Ohio state and play Ohio state in the first round. It's a, it's a tough matchup. I, I guess I just hadn't paid attention to where Sunbelt was seated initially for things. And I don't think this is lower than usual from what I'm seeing. I just, this is kind of a familiar ground for them, even though they're up in the Sun Belt. Yeah. I, I think there was kind of like a hope, like, all right, you're in this different conference. You're going to get a little bit of a lift over where you usually got your CAA seating. Um, and that isn't the case, uh, but you're right. You know, historically that, that hasn't been the case that 13 to 15 range is kind of Sun Belt territory. So 14 is, is right there. Um, I think they're a little bit underseated. I don't like the matchup with Ohio State. Yeah. Um, although going back to what we we're just talking about, in a sense, it feels like Kenny Brooks has built two <laughs> two NCAA tournament teams in Virginia in, in this bracket. Uh, you, you know, I, I think that uh, what Sean's done there and, and been able to kind of keep things going, put his own stamp on things, I think it's impressive. I think you mentioned, you know, the fact that they were not just competitive, but you know, at the top of the Sun Belt. Yeah is really good. Um, I think the future is bright. Um, you talk about building things in steps and we just said, Hey, going through a name brand to reach a final four is a step, um, advancing in the NCAA tournament, uh, against somebody that you're an underdog to that's a step, right? Because when a Sunbelt champion beats in Ohio state, that's when they start creeping up to the 13, the 12, because you say, Hey, I've seen these guys do it. I, I know what they're capable of. Um, you know, the league needs that, and certainly JMU as its program building needs that. I just – I don't particularly love this 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 matchup with Ohio State. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. As the JMU yeah. fan, when I saw this, I was like, ah, that sucks. Because uh, <laughs> I was – That's a bright way to look at it, I think. Yeah, I was looking at uh, – I was – you know, in addition to seeing where Virginia Tech would be seated, I was also like, oh, where's JMU going to get? Because they won the Sun Belt. And then I ended up seeing, like, the Ohio State match, and I was like, well – Good year. And um, like, I was like, ah, we got to the tournament. Good for them. Because uh, like you said, it's just a tough matchup. You know, I, I joke like, oh, wow, the Kenny Brooks revenge game um, for JMU uh, in the Elite Eight. And then, uh, you know, realistically, like, wow, we're not going to get past Ohio State. But that's um, it's great for Harrisonburg. It's good to be back. I mean, because it, it had been a long time like that. I think that's the other thing. And Leland and I had talked about this going into the Sun Belt championship uh conference championship week that it's been a long time since jmu had been in the tournament and not that sean o'regan was on the hot seat necessarily but you know there were starting to get grumblings like you know it'd be nice to go back to the tournament and we're the one seed so it's it's nice to see them get back in 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and again, yeah, you're right. I don't know that it's hot seat, but it's certainly the perception of where things are. Um, you know, certainly if you come out and struggle to compete in your new league, then I think you start talking about like, okay, what we have isn't working. Mm -hmm. So now you, you feel better if you're JMU saying, hey, what we have is working. It can win in the Sun Belt. It can win the Sun Belt Championship. It can go to the NCAAs. Now let's start working on that next step, which is can you advance? And, and in doing so, you'll help JMU, but you'll also help the conference because, like I said, you'll change the perception, and that 15-14 range becomes 13-12, and um, that's where you want to get to. I mean, that's it's the – the abbreviated story, right. Of Gonzaga, <laughs> you know, yeah. Gonzaga used to be the long shot seed and, and they won enough that it was like, okay, maybe these guys are for real. And then when they were tournament level and tournament good, all of a sudden you started their seeds starting to come up and up and up. And then it's self-fulfilling because now you got a better seed. So you got a better draw and you're able to win more. And um, it's, it's just a part of the process. Well, and also, I mean, you see the West coast conference isn't a one bid league anymore. St. Mary's is in there. There are five like that. But both teams are now getting respect in seedings. Um, if I may, uh, just for myself, mainly, um, or other JMU fans, like a JMU nostalgia trip, like that's the crazy thing. Like when I think back to some of these old JMU tournament teams that went to the tournament, like when I was there and you think of the players that went through there and just how good, like I'm looking at the Sun Belt and I'm like, yeah, I mean, these players are good. I don't want to take anything away from these JMU players. They're, they're excellent players. It's a fantastic team. But I mean, Don Evans was an all American and, and they were playing Della Don at Delaware, who was an all American. And you look at that and you're like, man, how did the CA only get one team out of that? And like, there were some good women's teams. And I mean, the CA had George Mason and VCU that was starting to get, you know, rumblings of a two-bid league before it shattered into a billion pieces and everybody left for the A-10 or Conference USA or Sunbelt. When, when I look back on on my, because I spent a decade in, in Harrisonburg um, and around JMU, and I look back and I'm like, I, I think we underappreciated, mm -hmm. right? Like what came after uh, Wendy Larry and Old Dominion? What came after? Like at the end of her, and then you had Delaware. Um, with what was it Tina Martin coaching, mm -hmm. I think. And and then you had Kenny when he took over for Bud Childers at Jim. Like things were in re a really good place. And you mentioned like the best players in the CAA were some of the best players in the country. And, and I don't know that you're getting that in the Sun Belt. I also think the game's a little different. Sure. Right. I think there's a, a development there. And, and um, maybe there's more power five heavy, like it is on the men's side. We've, we've seen a little bit of a shift. Um, but I do look back and, and if somebody wanted to do like the local version of a 30 for 30, um, yeah, that decade of play in, in CAA women's basketball, man, that was something special that we were seeing. Those were talents that were, were unbelievable. And it, it felt like every four years, somebody was becoming the new career scoring leader at JMU. Um, and it wasn't some fluky, you know, scheme thing. It was, man, that person had a great career. And I know that the girl, they just topped how good she was. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, maybe golden age is, is a little bit uh, of a, a hokey term for it or a silly, you know, overstatement hyperbole. But, you know, that was a really good time um, in women's basketball in, in Virginia because of, uh, you know, Old Dominion, JMU and, and Mason. You had just good things going on. And, you know, I, I am a little biased, I guess, in, in that, you know, 07 to 11 run. But even the the first few years after that, when Kenny was still there, I mean, it was, those were some spectacular teams. I mean, he had Tamara Young come through there and 
who who went on to the WNBA. Like, that's the thing. Like, when I'm thinking, and I look at some of the stuff, again, I'm not trying to say these girls aren't worthy of being considered JMU greats, but Dawn Evans was a player that, uh, the only reason she didn't play in the WNBA was because of health issues. Um, Tamara Young played in the WNBA. Dawn Evans was amazing. And and Della Dawn, that, that matchup they had my senior year, when it was Don Evans and Della Don, it was the highest scoring game in the Convocation Center that that will ever be played in the Convocation Center now that they're no longer playing in it. But <laughs> and, and I tell people all the time, I was like, I went to a lot of games there, um, high school, college, whatever, men's, women's. That was the best game I've ever seen. I mean, it was back and forth the whole time, and it was just a phenomenal game. And I was just like, man, like I. And I'll be honest, I didn't appreciate it in that moment. I, I was like, man, this was a great game. This was so much fun. And I, in the moment, I was like, this is probably the best game I've ever seen here. But then I think about it now, and I'm like, man, those were two WNBA caliber stars just going head-to-head the entire way. Yeah, I don't know that it resonated the way it should have because I think we all just thought like, okay, well, the CAA is always going to give you you know, a good game, a good, good title sure. matchup kind of thing. And um, I don't think we put in perspective – what those teams were like um, on a national landscape. And when you think about the WNBA players and you think about the, the, the careers, yeah, those were, those were some really, really good years that um, I hope people remember because I don't mm-hmm. think they fully appreciate it at, at the moment. Well, hitting back to this year's bracket real quick on the women's side, you can't pick South Carolina. Who are you picking? I didn't know I couldn't pick South Carolina. I'm just for, for all <laughs> conversational purposes because I, it's hard not to just acknowledge that they're the best team. I hope the Hokies can knock them off if they can get to that spot, but you can't pick South Carolina. Who are you picking? Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I, I'm not picking anybody in, in South Carolina as part of the bracket, certainly. <laughs> uh, you know, that that's that's easy to then just rule that out. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I look more on the women's side, and maybe this is unfair, uh, at the seeds. Um, I do think that the top eight seeds. So, you know, I'm talking about ones and twos. Uh, it, it's, it's going to be chalk to, to me. Uh, if I can't take South Carolina. Yeah. I mean, I, Iowa might be the team um, yeah. that mm-hmm. I'm, that I'm looking at. And, um, I think they're really solid across. I think they've been uh, together for a bit. Like, I, I do think um, it's good. It's just so hard for me to picture. Cause I'm, I'm picturing South Carolina lifting the trophy, yeah. but um yeah. Yeah, I think Iowa to me is the team that is the most tournament upset proof of kind of some of the other high seeds. Yeah, and they got one of the best players in the country, and and that can absolutely own a game. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, if she if they get in that matchup, South Carolina versus Iowa, if that exists, she she could win that game. So. Yeah, and that's sometimes what you need in that tight game is it's who you, who's your go-to player. It's kind of been the knock on the Virginia men for, for all those years. It's like, hey, they're really great, but if you need that one bucket, where are you going? Um, and Iowa, I don't think there's any question. Um, South Carolina, of course, has, I think, a couple options, though, and that, that's what makes them so scary. All right, I'm going to get you out of here on a different personal question than usual. Here in the McCray household last night, we, I mean, we had the four-by-eight bracket on the wall. We got three, four TV. I mean, I next we could have four TVs set up ready to watch bracket. My kids are getting excited. They're just not buying into the world of basketball quite as much. So we created the McCray family bracket. And this year it's toys. I've put it together. And so I want to hear your picks 
you know, top, you know, who, who in your mind is the final four for toys or games that a youngster would appreciate uh, for this bracket? Well, well, so if I'm going by my kids, right, okay. and yeah. you, you can, let's do it like women's bracket style. So you've got the Evan, the three-year-old Evan, three-year-old boy on one side, sure. and then you've got the, the nine-year-old girl on the other. So the three-year-old boy, he's got his matchbox cars. Uh, yeah. That's number one. And then he's got, um, I don't know what you'll call them, rubber or plastic, his dinosaurs. And he has got yeah. an army of dinosaurs. And How old anytime, is this kid? he's three. Yeah, me, him and my four-year-old need to get together. So. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's cars and it's, it's dinosaurs. And it's funny, you know, I, you say that I, I went out to dinner with a, a buddy. It was kind of like a, a father-son double date. Um, and we went out for a restaurant. We went, we met at a yeah. restaurant and he brought his, kid, brought lunch. My... We, we, we do that. Me and my friends, we have a man's lunch. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. We went out to the restaurant and his son starts reaching his bag and he starts pulling out cars, trains, and dinosaurs and Evan's eyes just light up. And it was like instantly, <laughs> like they weren't shy. They didn't even, Did we just be become best friends. Yep. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> the, what I had pictured. Um, so on his side of the bracket, that's it. Now on, on the nine-year-old side, she would go with, uh, she's huge into drawing, huge into drawing. Yeah. So she would have her pad, her markers, her crayons or all that. And then she's also huge into uh, Minecraft, which I've never, I'm not a big video game guy. She loves it. She gets on and she's got her tablet. She's got a little, little friend in the neighborhood here, another nine-year-old and they're on together. And, yeah. but I'll tell you guys, so you're talking about you guys getting heated with each other uh, in the last episode. I listen to these two nine-year-olds and I'm like, do I need to step in? And like, they're, like they're screaming, "You're an idiot! What are you doing? No, don't do that!" Oh, that what you're, and I'm like, I'm like, do I need to call this kid's parents and be like, "Hey, I'm really sorry that my daughter said that," or "Hey, like, I don't think your son should." And my wife's like, they're they're having a great time, and they're great yeah. friends in real life. We live in the neighborhood; they get together outside too, um, but they love it, man. So yeah, I guess if if I'm letting my kids pick the final four, now if it were me, I'm a Legos guy. Yeah, like, I love Legos, and I love. Like I know now they got all the sets where you pay. It's like a hundred something bucks and you're building like the yeah. Quinjet. But I like building my own stuff, man. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that my kids, I don't know if this is good or bad, but they're big on, they're playing something and they play together and they've got really creative games. And then they'll say, Hey dad, build us whatever, build us an airplane, build us a jail. And it's not like a kid. And I love it, man. Like yeah. my wife's like, Hey, Hey, what do you do? Don't you have to go to work? Don't we have to do this? Whatever it is. And I'm like, oh, sick. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm like, I'm busy, man. And the other day, and she's great too. Cause the other day I was sitting there and I was, I was building something. And I said, well, I'd like to build guard towers for the jail, but I don't know if we have enough blocks. And she went downstairs and got another box of Lego blocks, brought it up for me. So I yeah. could sit there and, and, uh, you know, sh shank my work responsibilities so I could build a giant Lego <laughs> jail. But, uh, those would definitely be, be some of the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the choices in this household anyway. Well, that, that'll help me, you know, solidify their bracket. A lot of similar stuff there with the younger ones. I agree with you, the Legos. I'm the, I'm the guy the last three years at my family Christmas has gotten a big box of Legos. I got a big Yoda one year. Last year, I got the Home Alone house. Like, I, I do that. And, and like you, I love putting those sets together, especially like the Home Alone house. So cool. One, one of the best gifts I ever got. Um, but I do like just build. Like, and that's what uh, we did this past year. There was, you know, a rainy weekend. I went and got my Lego box out of the attic and brought out my Legos that I grew up with. And there's there's not really even sets in there. I mean, there was some sets, but they're all broken apart. So, like, I'm just building stuff. And they really got into that. So, that that was a good transit. I think I talked about it on the podcast when I did it. So, But we do have a rule. Daddy's Legos are in this room. 
And then y'all's Legos are out there. <laughs> we don't mix. We don't mix with my Legos. <laughs> we need. We need that rule because the problem we have is they're all Evans Legos. And then you hear him yelling, "Daddy, give me that back!" I'm like, "No, I need that piece." My wife's like, "What do you mean you need that piece? Let him have." I'm like, "He doesn't. It doesn't. He doesn't need it. He can pick a different piece. I have that piece in mind for this thing." And yeah, it's it's a little ridiculous. I oh, probably you. probably have some grown up to do, but they, they have yeah. a lot of fun playing with me. <laughs> Well, travel safe to Orlando. We're yeah, glad you're going you. down there. I know you had dreams of just Greensboro again, and you know it's and funny Rutgers I, being there with you and all I, that. But uh, I, I, I'm sure you'll still, you know, do well down there, and and hopefully it's a long weekend for your sake and and the the local fan spirit. Uh, I'm hoping it's a quick trip down there for you, but yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I hope it's longer too because it's just a lot of fun to be around the tournament and gives sure. us more to write about and talk about. But uh, I, it's a little bit my fault. I think we're going to Orlando because I'd been on the Greensboro train, you know, for two weeks and yeah. we were sitting there in the hotel bar after the championship game. And I said, you know what? I changed my mind. I said, I want to go to Orlando for some warm weather because they were calling for snow on my drive back. <laughs> and I said, I, I'm changing my number one pick to Orlando. So when the bracket came up, I got so many texts from people who were like, did, <laughs> did you do that? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't have that kind of influence. Maybe, maybe David Teal could do that. I don't, I don't have the kind of, I don't have the kind of influence to change where we're headed, but uh, I'll be very happy. I think it was 77 degrees down there today. So I'm looking forward to that. Take it. Well, thanks for coming on with us. We always appreciate it. We'll talk to you coming up and uh, travel safe. Sounds good. Thanks for having me guys. Thanks again to Mike Barber, but Leland, it's time in an incredibly abbreviated episode to jump to the D block. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and uh, not let you go first. I'm going to talk about the XFL. Uh, the DC defenders, I love this defense. They keep finding ways to win. They're still undefeated. They beat the Vegas Vipers for the second time, this time in DC, where the beer snake was allowed to operate. And uh, <laughs> it was... The defense just plays so well, and the offense uh, did enough in this meeting as they won again, and, you know, it sets up another big game with uh, the St. Louis Battlehawks coming up this week, and then I think the Houston Roughnecks, who are the other undefeated team in the XFL, uh, await them in two weeks. So it's been exciting. I I love the way this defense plays. Offense is kind of iffy at times, um, but DC's got a winner. I mean, that's good. I'm... I'm happy to hear it. I, I just, I haven't had the room in my sports attention for the XFL. I'm not against it. I'll stop by it on the weekends. There's just been so much basketball and, you know, I'm getting Man. pulled with some actual kid basketball happening these past weekends and stuff. So it's just, I have not been able to dive into it, but I'm hoping it's still there when I go, go to get it. <laughs> I know the last time we had the XFL, Obviously, bigger, worse things happened in 2020 that stopped the XFL from happening. But I just I think it's doing well enough. I'm not getting the readings that, you know, the USFL kind of put off last year where things were tightening up and all that stuff. I I think it's successful enough. The ratings I know aren't as high as they were kind of hoping they could be, but they're not as low as it would take for them to think there's bigger issues. So uh, I'm 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 excited that at least D.C., in this league that I'm not paying attention to can produce a winner. That's good. Yeah. I I do wonder if the fact that there is the USFL that's playing kind of right after March madness, them not being able to do that because they don't want to go head to head. 
necessarily. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that's hurting them. Cause I do think once college basketball is done, that really opens the calendar wide up. And I mean, I'm watching, I'm watching the DC defenders games and sometimes I'll catch a few quarters of another team. Um, but I'm watching it because the DC defenders are doing well. If the DC defenders start to tank, I don't know how much interest I'll still have. Um, but I also think um, there's some good stories. You know, if you're a JMU football fan, Ben DiNucci has kind of turned it around in Seattle after looking like Ben DiNucci in the NFL for the first two games. So he's led Seattle on some comebacks and some wins. Uh, the rule changes, I think, are really good. I, I think there's a possibility that you will see some of those in the near future get to the NFL uh, in terms of the onside kick rule. I think that is something that the NFL absolutely should adopt and probably will adopt. Uh, and I think, I think it's a good idea. One thing back on the ratings, I opened up this article because it, it reminded me when I started saying that they did adjust some of the games, you know, going to ESPN and getting them off FX. Mm-hmm. I don't think people are used to finding them on FX. Um, so that's good that ESPN is willing to make that move and that's showing their investment in the, in the league. Um, you know, as NIT and all these other college basketball things happen these next couple of weekends and weeks and, you know, ESPN wanting to remain available to be talking about the big tournament, mm-hmm. they might not have that opportunity as much, but it seems like, I mean, this, that's the, the moral of that story is ESPN being invested in the product. And that's what, as much as people want to hate on ESPN and this and that, and they don't cover well, if it's not on ESPN, when they invest in a product, they usually invest in a product and this is what you want this is something nascar might want to remember next time they're on a rights thing is that they don't get talked about unless they're on espn so um you know it might have some value there so uh i like i said i hope it keeps up i i would like it to get narrowed back down to one xfl or usfl or whatever i i i think it's better that they get back to one because i don't like this another one starting probably at a good time right outside of march madness because I want it to exist. I guess I want it to be successful. Like I'm, I'm sitting here, like I'm fine with this existing, even though I'm not into it. I'm, I, I want it there because I don't mind there being that other option, especially after March Madness being on the TV. So I, I, I hope it holds up. I, I, it's not like I'm rooting for the rock, but I, I hope he can win on this one. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I mean, I, I do think one of those will eventually not survive. Uh, I'm rooting yeah. for the XFL as well. I think it's a better product, but um. What is your first issue that you want to talk about in the D block? I, I got more of what I need to know and talk about since we mm-hmm. kind of just talked tournament forever <laughs> in the first block. Uh, the other news I wanted to talk about um, is just some of the NFL storylines that are going on right now. The big news that happened over the weekend when the bears traded the number one pick to Carolina, they got first round this year, first round next year, other second and third round picks coming up. They got uh, DJ Moore. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great trade for the Bears. They, mm-hmm. they, you know, they said they didn't need a quarterback. They, and you know, if I think they got their guy, you got to approach it like you have your guy. You got to invest in him. You got to just if he's not the right guy, you're going to suffer either way. But you got to get the stuff around him. So they they're setting themselves up for that. A heck of a wide receiver weapon for him to throw to for field to throw to. So I like it for the Bears. They, they also signed Tremaine Edmonds, which I was hoping the Steelers would grab him from out of Buffalo. He's a heck of a defensive 
player signed one of the biggest linebacker contracts that have existed. I think inside linebacker uh, contracts that have existed. So he got paid and so good for him. I was just hoping he was going to wear some black and gold because he would fit in that mindset, I think, and his brother's there. I just thought it could be a good situation, but that's, that's me being a Steelers fan. But, uh, you know, the Bears making big moves. I, and also for the Panthers side of it, like, you got to have a quarterback in this league. And so, yeah, you spent some equity to do it, but you're nothing without a quarterback, and they've proven that. So they making a move. I know they're saying that the, the pick is still tradable, like they might trade it. I don't think they do that. I think that's just them saying that to see what people throw at it. I don't think they're going to trade. I don't think anybody's going to give them what they would consider because that's probably – number one draft picks coming back to them in future years and kind of try to even things out. I don't think other people are going to do that. I think they'll let Carolina draft, let whatever happens behind them, maybe deal with, you know, the third or fourth pick and not deal with Panthers who are going to be trying to ask for a whole lot in that number one spot. But yeah, interesting trades there. Um, your thoughts on those on, on that? Yeah. That set of stuff. I did laugh when I heard, you know, well, the Carolina Panthers might trade this and I was like, they're not going to get the picks they gave up. To the Bears, like yeah. they're not going to get that, let alone the all-caliber receiver that DJ Moore is. And I heard an insane right. stat: DJ Moore, if you take his numbers from the Panthers and put those for a Bears career, he would already be in five seasons the leading all-time <laughs> receiver for the Chicago Bears. Wow! In terms of oh. yards, he would be number yeah. three in catches behind only Matt Forte and Walter Payton. So those guys are running backs, which obviously tells you running backs, yeah. the number of great <laughs> receivers that the Chicago Bears have gone through. Um, and he's doing that with not good quarterbacks in Carolina. So I, I would think Justin Fields is going to be better than most of the guys that were throwing the ball to him in Carolina. Um, so the Bears think so. so. There you go. They give him the weapon. And, and so. look, I, I, I agree with the Bears not going after a C.J. Stroud with the number one pick because I don't think C.J. Stroud fixes your problems. I think D.J. Moore fix a pro- fixes a problem. I think with that number nine pick, you could draft an offensive lineman, which could help you fix some of your problems. Um, and I think Edmonds being signed helps address some problems. Yeah. Oh, I, the yeah. Bears! The Bears were in a lot of games last year. They lost a lot of close games. I think that tells you that Justin Fields is good enough. You just need to help the surrounding cast around him a little bit more. This is going to do that. Um, and I think, yeah, getting a weapon like DJ Moore for him to throw to. You're not going to look at the Bears and go, well, they they don't have a top receiver. Like, Justin, who's Justin Fields going to throw to? That's not that surprising, the way this is shaked out um, in terms of I generally, the, the universal I generally think, mm-hmm. I generally think like the, like the Giants did. Like, I, I'd rather, if, if your quarterback you got is younger and, like, you have something to work with there and some hope, like, I'm, I'd much rather just, like, proceed with what you got so you're not getting rid of all that draft value to go get another quarterback that might not work. Like try to make the one you have work. Cause even if that somehow still doesn't get where you want, everything around is going to be that much better when you then have to go get some kind of veteran quarterback to come in in that kind of situation. So I, I just I, like the giants keeping um, the kid out of Duke. I'm bad with names. Daniel right? Jones. It's, it's my, yeah. Daniel Jones. Like I, I know Daniel Jones isn't setting the world on fire, but like I get that. And I, I kind of prefer that approach. I'd, I'd rather my team be in that approach than trying to get a new quarterback every three or four years because then you're the Cleveland Browns and you're just never good. So, I yeah, I, I think it's the right move by the Bears. I, I keep saying the Bears think he's number one. I like what they did. I don't mean to, like, that be an underhand comment. you you got to invest in them. So I 
I like all that. Um, the Jets, they're trying to invest in Aaron Rodgers. They're trying to, you know, give up what it takes to get Aaron Rodgers out of Green Bay. I am so done with the drama of this. I, I mean, Aaron Rodgers. Well, he said we'll find out. out soon. Yeah, and, and we're st- we went through all day today. I was listening to people this morning, and they're like, I think we need to hear something by noon today. Like, free agency is coming. They can't let the free agency period go on. Like, Aaron Rodgers isn't right to either team if he lets this go on into free agency because those teams need to react and then be at the front of free agency ready to go with whatever plan they need to go with. But, I, you know, Aaron Rodgers only cares about himself. I, I'm so sick of this storyline. I'm so sick of this. I mean, it's, it's like years in the making. I... I don't know. If you're Aaron Rodgers, I want to ask this a particular way. If you wake up tomorrow morning, we have, you know, we have a 90s movie, maybe an 80s movie where lightning strikes your house okay. or as you're brushing your teeth, the lightning strikes. You become Aaron Rodgers in the morning. Okay. What do you decide? If you're Aaron Rodgers with your priorities as Aaron Rodgers and your abilities, mm-hmm. what do you decide, Joe? I decide to start dating Olivia Munn again. Um, <laughs> Not a bad decision. <laughs> and then I decide. I decide to go to the New York Jets because I think I have burned my bridges in Green Bay for the last time. The Green Bay Packers, all the rumblings coming out of Green Bay are, we are done. Yeah. He can either go to the Jets or he can name the team, but we are done. Like, and, I don't know if he can name the team, though. That's my issue well, with this. That's true. That's because, why I asked you the way I did. Yeah. That's why I asked you the way you did, because I want to come from Aaron Rodgers' side of this. I don't think he re- recognizes as much that the Raiders, didn't they just sign Garoppolo The today? Raiders signed Garoppolo today, so it is. Like, it's down to the Jets or the Green Bay Packers. Or the and, 49ers. Okay. I mean, the 49ers signed Sam Darnold. I don't know if that's an answer. Yeah. I, Hon- you want to be honest? If we want to talk about this, the 49ers, giant step back. Giant step back. I'm not saying you had to go re-sign Jimmy Garoppolo, but if the guy that you're looking at and you're like, yeah, we, you know, we got Sam Darnold. Now you have, you have a hydra of mediocrity that I don't know. Like maybe you just rotate the quarterbacks each week because I don't know if there's going to be that big of a difference between. Is Matt Hasselback still available? Can he come? Yeah, I I don't know. Like, honestly, when I saw (laughs) Sam Darnold was, I was like, man, I thought Sam Darnold was done in this league. I don't know what that's about. I, I just don't think there, there's the options for Aaron Rodgers that he, I think he thinks there at least were. I mean, maybe he's recognizing that now. My biggest issue, and the, I asked you this reason because I wanted the Aaron Rodgers' point of view. I think the reality side of this is, Joe, if he signs with the Jets, where do you put the Jets in that division next year? I put them second in that division. I do think they would second. be. It's higher than I thought you would say. I think they would not beat the Bills I do think they would beat the Dolphins, not because I think that the Dolphins are bad, but because I don't know if Tua can stay healthy. And with that being said, like the number of concussions that he's already had, if he's out for a prolonged amount of time, the Dolphins offense is in shambles when he's not in it. So I, as good as I think the Dolphins offense is when healthy, I think that he would be, I'm assuming he gets out, he's injured, and then they don't make it. Second is higher than I thought you'd say. I wouldn't put him second. I, I hear your points and, and maybe that alters my, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I just saying, I don't think they're necessarily a playoff team. If, with, if the Dolphins are Rob. healthy, I'll say this. If the Dolphins are healthy, they're third. Yeah. And they're battling out with new England and. No, they would beat new I, England. 
they would beat New England, but I, you know, that's an organization that drafts well and makes moves. Like, you know, let's talk about it again in August. I'd at least give it that say, I wouldn't just write them off completely at this moment. I would say now they're better, but you know, let's see what they got come season. I, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I start just leaning into green Bay and saying, I know you guys don't want me here, but this gives me the best chance to win. I know we, they barely missed the playoffs this year. They seem committed to winning and generally, I don't know if they generally make good decisions. I, I don't know. I, I, I just start staying in green Bay. I say one more run. Let's go. I'm staying in green Bay one more year. I don't think that's an option. I don't think that's an option. I think his options are now the jets are retired. Yeah, he's not going to retire the same year as Tom Brady. He's doesn't want to go in the same class as Tom Brady. I guarantee you, he's not. Maybe gonna, I, I just that's why I think I will also say retire. this to wrap up this to, the Aaron Rodgers part. Um, the Jets are closer to the Dolphins than they are the Patriots. Eh. The Jets, the Jets were not a bad team outside of quarterback last year, but yeah, I, I think I'm ignoring I'm ignoring that fact. I think that's a fair statement. But Lamar Jackson saga to Leland in the NFL. Yeah, there's a drama itself there, yeah. <laughs> Look, I I am amazed at the amount of people that just assume there is collusion here. I I know people that listen to this podcast have heard me say I wouldn't give him all that guaranteed money. Um, I'd pay him, but it wouldn't be guaranteed because of the last two seasons. He hasn't been healthy in the final stretch of the season. It's cost us the playoffs both years. Uh, and I think... You add in guaranteed money, which is a giant, giant cap hit. And then for these other teams, you have to give up two first-round picks for that. Not going to be a lot of takers. You're already seeing that in the NFL. Nobody wants to touch this. And I can't say that I blame them. Um, I, I Obviously, when you're watching NFL on ESPN, the, the shows, or, you know, I, if you've listened to the Levitard show, they, they think it's collusion too. And it's just, and they, what they keep going to is, well, Deshaun Watson got this deal from the Browns and Lamar Jackson's better than Deshaun Watson, which I would say, yes, but the Cleveland Browns are a tire fire franchise for a reason. And other franchises aren't going to look at what the dumb one does and go, we need to do that. Like, they're going to look at the Browns and go, oh, wow, okay, that's why the Browns are never a Super Bowl contender, because they always do stupid things. So they're not going to they're not going to offer a fully guaranteed contract to Lamar Jackson, who hasn't proven that he can be healthy. And I, I, I understand if Lamar feels hurt that he can't get that kind of deal, and he thinks he deserves that. But he's got to understand... The Baltimore Ravens have to run a franchise. And if they give him all that guaranteed money, he he thinks he doesn't have weapons around him now. He's not going to have anything. It's going to be Lamar Jackson and 10 dudes that they picked up outside the stadium before Sunday. Like, for league minimum. They're not going to be anything. And so, I think, I think that's a... I'm fine with the Ravens putting a non-exclusive tag. If somebody else wants him, they can have him. If not, we're paying him $32.5 million this year. And then we can approach this again next year. And if he doesn't sign then, we can do it one more year. I'm betting he's not healthy for two years. Just because I haven't seen it the last two years, I'm not sure he's the fastest guy on the field anymore if he comes on the field tomorrow. And that's a concern because, again, he's not a pocket passer. That's not where his bread is buttered. So if, if he can't be a fast, elusive guy and run for, you know, 80 yards a game, 
in addition to throwing for 200 yards a game, he's not really that valuable. And the other problem with him this past year, turn the ball over too much. He's not, he is not Patrick Mahomes. So for all the people being like, he's an MVP, that was two years ago. Two years ago. He's been hurt the last two years, and he hasn't been nearly as good as he was that MVP season in either year before his injury. So two years ago is forever in this league. It is. It is. And and the Rams won the Super Bowl two years ago. Well, okay. Then I guess I'm saying three years ago that he won the MVP. Um, well, I'm doing okay, but like even within the time of your saying, no, I'm, sure. I'm not trying to call your words apart. I'm just saying, like this league. No, I'm saying it's even longer than that, though. Like, it's, like he won the MVP yeah. before the Rams won the Super Bowl. Like crazy, yeah. Like and they, it's like he doesn't know who he is, dude. You run around the pocket, you're gonna get hit. Like you got to recognize that about yourself. You need to take the money you can get, which is still a lot of money. You've been they offered, offered him 180 million guaranteed, and he turned it down. That's that's <sighs> the most he's gonna get. That's the most he's going to get. When, like, you would think the Players Association would sit him down and be like, dude, get an agent. Like, just get an agent. I don't think an agent helps this, though. Like, an agent isn't going to find him a fully guaranteed contract unless it's with the Cleveland Browns. But the Cleveland Browns are already tied into it. They already have an Albatross contract. Because you know what the other thing people looked at after that, that huge deal that they signed with Deshaun Watson? Deshaun Watson didn't look that good. So they're sitting there going, huh, Lamar Jackson now didn't sit out a whole year, but sat out half a year. And now he wants a fully guaranteed mega contract worth more than Deshaun Watson. Pass. I I don't get it. The whole collusion side, too, and I know you already touched on it. It's not collusion when everybody doesn't want to do it. Like, no no one has to talk to each other and be like, hey, don't do that. It's nobody wants to do it. No one's interested. Yeah, that's like me saying it's collusion that the Baltimore Orioles don't make me their manager or GM like, or, or anyone in the major league baseball doesn't want to hire me as a GM. They're going to look at me and go, how many years have you worked in baseball? Zero. Okay. Pass. Now I'm not, I'm not as good as Lamar Jackson. Fair. Yeah. He's closer, closer to deserving than you are. (laughs) GM. (laughs) But Cal Ripken was a MVP shortstop. No one in Major yeah. League Baseball is going to go pay Cal Ripken to play shortstop now. And I'm sorry, like this, Lamar Jackson's in his prime. He's not. He's not. His prime is not everyone else's prime. Every year he ages is way worse for him in his career than when Patrick Mahomes ages a year or when Tom Brady ages a year because those guys are pocket passers. Now, Patrick Mahomes does have some elusiveness, and that helps him out a lot, but for the most, if Patrick Mahomes has to be in the pocket, he will succeed. Lamar Jackson, if he has to be in the pocket, will fail. He has shown that time and time again. Teams are not going to give you a fully guaranteed contract for eight years or 10 years or however long he's asking for now at, at his age and what his skill set is. It's just not realistic. Absolutely not realistic. He needs to be advised better. If he wants That's a fully guaranteed contract, he should have played Major League Baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, this is what I drafted. This is what I woke you up on draft night for when you when you guys drafted him. <laughs> was uh, And he's been was, better than I thought. To to his credit, yeah, he's been better than I thought. Still having the, the problems. But what him. did I say? You better win it on his rookie contract. Because after that, if you re-sign him, it blows up your cap. And if we do 100% re-sign him... 
full guaranteed or not, he's going to blow up the cap. That's why part of me is like, just ride this year. Yeah, just ride this year. Next year's draft class is hopefully better. When Lamar Jackson inevitably gets hurt and we get a better draft pick because of it, draft a quarterback. You draft his replacement and say, thanks, Lamar. See ya. And like you, you did that. You said a lot about the comparisons at Patrick Mahomes. And someone's going to quickly say, well, I mean, you're not Kansas City. You don't have Andy Reid and you don't have this and this and this. No, you are the Ravens. No, we have That's a, a very, we have a front office. Stable franchise yeah. With a great front office, with a heck of a coach, with plenty of talent being thrown around them. Like they're trying to win and they don't make rash, stupid decisions. Hence them not resigning him that way. So I, it, it's just. That's the difference between I think these another two I think another factor in here, like to that point, last time the Ravens had a quarterback they had to re-sign. It was Joe Flacco. They overpaid him and it killed them. Yeah. They're not gonna sign up for that again. They learned I that. Liked that. That Actually, ownership I am rooting for that, now. that ownership <laughs> learned that lesson. And is Lamar Jackson better than Joe Flacco? Yes. But they're still well, looking at that going, okay. Go win a Super Bowl, man. If if we pay him all this guaranteed money and he gets hurt, we are stuck. We can't go get another guy. We can't go. We can't do anything about that. We're done. So they're not going to do that. And, and again, I think this is about drafting. This is about drafting his replacement next year. The other thing that I know that you need to know was news that dropped on Monday was Tyler Nickel entering the draft portal, and we mentioned it there. Transfer when, um Transfer portal. I forget what words I just said. Uh, it's getting late. It's getting late. Uh, when Barbara was on there, I mentioned Tyler Nickel hitting the transfer portal. I wanted to discuss it a little bit more here for the local point of view here. And, uh, you know, in one way, I'm surprised. Here's a guy that's going to UNC, seemed to really be invested in, you know, going to that level, to that blue blood. I I thought he had to understand he's not a one and done so he's not going to go there. He's going to, you know, play with this group and then like kind of fit in, you know, hopefully step up into a main role the next year. I, I'm not convinced he couldn't do that. Um, but he must have his doubts with, you know, a fresh crop of McDonald's all Americans coming into UNC next year. He must have his doubts of how his future is looking there. So he's in, entering the draft portal and, uh, you know, I said the reason I was a little surprised, the reason I'm not surprised is because this is what the college basketball game is now. And, you know, it's like teams got to every six months, they got to rebuild their program and uh, especially at the top level. And so not as surprised because of that, because of how the game has changed. So, Joe, what's your thoughts? Where do you think he might end up? Um, yeah, I, I have my thoughts, but go ahead. Um. I was not terribly surprised to see him transfer um, mainly because, and I think what you just said is a fair point, uh, but every player thinks they're going to be the one that breaks through, I think. And then once he realized he's not the one that's going to break through and get minutes off the bench that Cooper Davis isn't a guy who goes to his bench very often. So if he's not breaking in the bench now, he's not gonna. Um, so, not surprised to see him transfer. I think it'll be interesting to see where he lands. I I don't know where his targets are, to be honest, or where he's looking. Um, but obviously, being a local kid, you'd you'd love to see him go to JMU. You'd love to see him go to Virginia Tech. Um, I think both of those places are possible places he might be able to play. 
Virginia um, Tech was was the favorite until late in the recruiting process a year ago. Mm-hmm. You know, he went on a late visit to UNC. He got to play with the other players. We we talked to Cody about this story mm-hmm. and then how he played with them down there, realized he could play with those guys and he, he could get time. And, um, you know, to a degree he was and then he wasn't um, during the regular season. I, he had his opportunity. I'm, I'm interested for Virginia Tech. Um, you know, this isn't back in the day where, you know, you're wanting to – you just expect him to drop down. We see people make, you know, transfers. You know, we already talked to this broadcast about a UVA guy going to UNC and, and we see like, you know, fairly equal jumps happen all the time in the transfer portal. That's something new with this. So, you know, I don't necessarily look for him to go to a Sunbelt school like JMU or something like that. I could see him jumping around the ACC or, you know, something high level. Um, but it'll be very interesting. I, you know, I, Having covered him, I want him to go, you know, going to Tech, I'd be cool with because, you know, I think he is pretty good. I think we could get something out of him. I like the local guy. I, if he doesn't, though, I'm not going to be heartbroken. This isn't, you know, this is where I probably was a year ago where I was like, come on, pick Tech, pick Tech. Now I'm kind of like, you know, if Tech's that, I'll be cheering for you and you'll be in the maroon and I'll be happy. But if he doesn't, I'm not going to feel cheated or, you know, heartbroken. So it'll be real interesting. It's just another opportunity to rename the arena and yes. and or the floor or the university. Yes. Um, balls they should have already court. named the floor. It should be coming home to the floor that's named after yeah. him at JMU. That should be, yeah, hashtag come home. Um, <laughs> so it's an opportunity. We'll see if JMU takes him up on it um, or if he takes JMU up on it, I guess. Uh, what I know that you need to know is the World Baseball Classic is going on. It's been fun to watch. I, I love watching the World Baseball Classic. I'll be honest, it's a lot more fun watching teams that aren't the U.S. play. Um, not that the U.S. isn't good, and they're beating the P out of Canada as we speak, but the it's just a different environment, particularly like that Puerto Rico-Venezuela game. Man, that would have been fun to go to in Miami because the entire stadium is going crazy. They're trying to tell you how loud it is in Phoenix during the USA-Mexico game. They're like, oh, you know, I hope it's coming through at home. You know, just how loud this arena is. You know what they didn't have to do when Puerto Rico and Venezuela was playing? Tell me they hope it's coming through because it was coming through. It was coming through to the point where I was like, man, um, I I don't need the broadcasters. Like, the the crowd is doing a great job painting the scene for me. Um, and, And... that was awesome. I mean, the crowd's going crazy. They're playing instruments. It honestly, it what it reminded me of was college football atmosphere, where like every strike or every like strikeout, especially the crowd is just going nuts, or every home run, the crowd's going nuts. And I was like, man, it, the Venezuela DR Dominican Republic game uh, the night before was very similar too. It was just craziness every out every run being scored, the crowd's going crazy. And I was like, this is awesome. And um, USA did well against Great Britain uh, in their opener. Great Britain's not very good. Uh, And Great Britain, in addition to not having very much talent, also has a uniform that and this is going to start, you know, our, our our uniform segment, I guess that'll be abbreviated tonight. But <laughs> I don't, I don't know what punishment would be fitting 
for the person who designed those uniforms. I'm not opposed to prison. I'm not opposed to the cardboard box. I'm not opposed to making him the first astronaut to set foot on the sun. Um, I, I, those uniforms. And if you're like, Joe, come on, that's ridiculous. Describe the uniforms for me. Picture a gray uniform and on the front picture just aerial block, all caps, great under second line Britain. That's the uniform. And there was just nothing else to it. it. I There's not a Little League team in America that has a more basic uniform than what Great Britain had. And I think that's a shame. I, I know John Smoltz told me like four or five times how little money Great Britain baseball has. I don't think money is what you need to solve that problem. I, I think it's someone with the smallest amount of imagination possible would have solved that problem. Yeah. It was bad. I hated that uniform. And then we don't have any pitching, so we lost to Mexico. Um, Jeff McNeil is terrible. I don't need to see him play second base. He sucks. And Mike Trout, who is doing better tonight against Canada, who also is not very good at baseball, in case you're starting to get a picture of who we can beat. Um, in this tournament, outside of that game, he hasn't been very good. So maybe Mike Trout's not clutch. Well, good thing he's never in the playoffs. Yeah, maybe maybe the reason the Angels can't get to the playoffs is Mike Trout. I don't know. Yeah, he's the problem. It's him. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I want to complain about with the World Baseball Classic, though, while you were doing grievances earlier, I'll close the show with grievances. Why are all our games at 10 p.m.? Um, I guess because the venue for them is Arizona. So I guess they're caring about the butts in the seats and start in that game. I'll compromise. Of, I'll compromise with them. Make it eight. So a five o'clock local time start. I, I, I know they don't do daylight saving time. So five or six. I, I'm, I get confused about Arizona and what they do with their time. Yeah, I don't know what um, time it is in Arizona. Yeah. I'll do eight. But it's Eastern. five or six. If it starts at eight, it's either five or six out there. Hey, Major League Baseball, do you make money on attendance numbers or TV numbers? They obviously make it on the TV numbers. That's the argument I always throw at you, too. Okay. Um, so maybe we start the game at not an ungodly hour on the East Coast. Start the World Series at 840. Like, at least, at least that you're saying the teams that are interested – in that are going to be on the West coast for the most part. I think in the past few years, it's been West coast teams, isn't it? There has been some dodges. Um, so as much as I agree with you on that, I understand, Hey, the team in LA and the team in Houston prefer this time slot. All right. Sucks for me. But the majority of the U the U S population lives in the Eastern time zone. Put the damn game on at eight o'clock especially when you don't have the new rules, which, by the way, for all the people complaining about them, they absolutely work. Spring training games are like two hours and 15 minutes. The World Baseball Classic, which does not have the new rules, are every bit of three and a half hours, if you're lucky. 
the Japan Puerto or the Venezuela Puerto Rico game was forever long. The Dominican Republic game the other day was forever long. I mean, those are some long, long games. This game where we're going to drub Canada like a baby seal, taking forever. It's just a different game. They absolutely need to speed it up. I know baseball diehards hate it, but baseball diehards will soon be dead. And then you're going to need to get younger fans. (laughs) And so to get younger fans, you need the game to be quicker. You need more balls in play. That's what the new rules have done. It's mission accomplished on Major League Baseball's part. Yeah, I was surprised that they weren't using... um using the, the new rules. So I, I thought we talked about that. I was just assuming they would. Like everybody, I think playing, I mean, everybody, of, but like the top talent in this tournament is going to have to play with those rules. Like why aren't they using it? I think it's because of all the different nationalities that are playing. And yes, the top, top players are in Major League Baseball. Um, and, and when you look at the DR, Venezuela, USA, like a lot of those players are from Major League Baseball. But Japan has a lot of Japanese national players. Um Almost all of Pool A is players who are not Major League Baseball. So I think that plays a big role in it. It's just they don't – and it's still new to the U.S. players. So for them, it's probably easier. I would say the next one, you might see that those rules get put in. But I don't know. Maybe not the shift one, but maybe the pitch clock gets put in in four years. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Well, I thought I was going to watch more of this than I have. It, it's not the product where I haven't. It's just I've watched a lot of basketball. I did get it on the third TV this weekend. But, yeah, I haven't watched the other. I haven't, I've only watched USA games. I think that's part of my surprise. I think that's what I'm saying. I thought I'd watch more Dominican and stuff, and I, and I haven't. All right, Joseph, it's been a good one. I think at one point we talked about this being brief, and I think we still went long. Um, but it's tournament week. That's what it's here for. Big thanks to Mike Barber for coming on and, uh, spending so much time on the podcast. Uh, really appreciate him doing that. Uh, he's a busy man. He has a podcast of his own. Please go listen to it. I listen to it all the time with him and David Teal. Um, the Teal and Barber podcast from Richmond times. Uh, it's a great, I, what you get from Barber from us. Um, it's even better over there with him and Teal and their friendship and, and them moving it along. Uh, a really great podcast, so I can't recommend that enough. But huge thanks for him coming on with us and talking about everything basketball. And uh, that's why we love having him on. It's because he's a, a good friend of the podcast. Make sure you are in the bracket pool for the X Sports podcast. Um, it's a fairly simple thing to get to, uh, but it's on our Twitter. Um, but it's Yak Sports podcast is the group name. Um, I think the ID number is five, six, two, zero. If you need it, it's open public group, go join it, get in there, try to make sure we understand what your name is. <laughs> so if you win, we can talk to you correctly, uh, about, about, uh, coming on the podcast. If you win, cause that's, that's the prize. We're not playing for money. We're playing for a sp- interview spot on the podcast. So make sure you're joined there. I'm going to create a women's one here in the next day and put that out there too. So feel free to join that as well. Cause I have a bracket and everybody else might as well see it and see how deep I have Virginia tech pick there. Um, and, uh, so make sure you're there following us on 
at Yak Sports Pod on Facebook or Twitter is always a good way to keep in touch with us or interact with us. Yaksportspod at gmail.com is our email. Feel free to reach out to us any of those ways or any other ways that you already have access to contacting us. We love to hear what you have to say. If you disagree or agree with our opinions, we love to hear about it and love to move the argument along. I know Jeff Wright's reached out these last couple of weeks and um, we've had, we've had offline podcasts with him. He's, he's hit on some topics that Joe and I have talked about as soon as we stop recording. Uh, we've <laughs> talked about with Jeff as uh, he's called him out to us. And so uh, interact with us. You might get that kind of uh, reaction from us. It might not be something we talk about on the podcast. It might be something we talk about offline with you, but we're always eager to share our right or wrong opinions about anything and everything. So make sure you're uh, subscribed. So you're back with us next week. We got spring sports starting up. I know the winter weather here is going to delay the very beginning of some games, but we're done with scrimmages. It's game time. And we got a lot of good teams here in the spring that we look forward to covering. And we'll be doing that all spring as we get through this tournament here. So talk to y'all next week here on the Yak Sports Podcast. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County sports podcast.